0: Another edition of Scoreline Extra if you missed any of our sporting conversations over the weekend we've got you covered with the latest edition of Scoreline Extra the podcast that brings you the best of the highlights from Scoreline's on-air outings every Saturday and Sunday. On this week's edition of Scoreline Extra you can listen back to interviews with Tom Mullally and Brian Cody from Carlo and Kilkenny's senior hurling outings this weekend. You'll also hear from the last man to lead Wexford to All-Ireland glory in 1996 Liam Griffin. Uh, as well on the show today, you'll hear from Brian Barry, author of Mickey Whelan Love of the Game. You'll also hear from Martin Barry on recruiting referees in the GAA. We also hear from Jane Cass, Dixborough DCU and Kilkenny Intermediate Camogie star. We'll also be speaking to LPGA caddy Harry Irving about the GPA Tour, Irish sports journalist and television presenter Ivan Quillen on the Quishnor 5K. We'll also hear from Cricket Leinster Midlands Development Officer Bernard O'Mara and we'll hear again from Joe Sheehan on Greyhound Racing. Davy Jones talks all things fitness and health and finally Martin Walsh will be filling us in on all things Cheltenham. But first we hear from Tom Mullally after Carlo's disappointing loss to Kerry.
1: Tom that was a little bit disappointing I'm sure you're disappointed Carlos supporters are disappointed you were in it went out of it got back into it and went out of it in the end I think that's the best way to sum it up
2: yeah I think so that would sum it up I think we did well in patches when we did well we did well and when we when we probably didn't we allowed Kerry come into it a little bit too easy maybe at times you mean and stuff that way
1: two matches left I know um, Kildare and Mead Kildare is away I believe Mead is at home someone else said it was away but however it's two games left so backs it to the wall a little bit
2: Ah, oh, look. Every every game is important to us. You mean we have a, we've got youngsters coming into the panel this year, into the team and stuff of like that. So they're all important games. Um, the league in itself is is important to us. Um, we've obviously had a, between suspensions, between injuries and stuff of like that. We'd 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 likely be picking from 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 a deck that would, would would suit the games that we're playing and stuff that way. You mean, but that's not to be. So I think we're ga- players are gaining experience and exposure to kind of to this level, which is good for them. Like you know,
1: the hand has been clamped down on Sean Clear referee today. They're not going to harbour on Sean, but all referees are blown. It. And Taggy said to me in commentary Kenny a few months ago that a lot of players throw it. They seem to be getting into players at this level now and, and there's a lot of blows and freeze and stoppages just for illegal hand passes today. What did you make of all that?
2: Oh sure, look, you I mean I, I mean like the hand passes is, is, is clearly defined. I think lads have probably got into the habit of throwing, so you I mean if it's a throw, it's a throw. They'll probably just have to be careful the referees don't don't assume it's a throw, you mean and stuff like that. That's probably the only thing. But I, I think overall we, we we wouldn't have any complaints on today anyway.
1: Yeah and looking back now Tom, the defeat in in down uh, defeat today but discipline a little Bit of a problem. Another sending off today. I know referees have an opinion on that, but you know, lads getting involved and the whistle is gone. Something will have to be done there, I suppose. But Kerry could have had a player sent off before the Carlow man today. And you are probably a little bit aggrieved about that.
2: Ah, look, we're not. Go- I mean, I obviously have to. I mean, all I, I, we're looking for is consistency. It doesn't yeah. matter what that is because you can learn from consistency. I mean, and I've said this before. I mean, I mean, I don't mind. I mean, to be fair, if, if it's if whatever the rules are, as long as if they're going to apply them, apply them, and that's absolutely fine. There's no issue. I don't think. To, I mean, we could argue over small. Things today and stuff like that. I'm not sure. I, I didn't see what the sending off was for, so I, I commenting on it would be, would be purely unfair. I think to the referee and stuff like that. You know I mean, but as long as it's consistent, we don't. And I don't think. I don't think Sean Clear did did a did a overall that he was probably consistent he enough in relation to what, t- what he was today. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no. so I wouldn't have any complaints about it. Uh,
1: Sean Murphy, is that two matches of Sean Jew back now for the next game? And Marty, what's the position on Marty? A lot of people inquiring Marty. Yeah, I know has an injury. How far is he away from making a comeback?
2: Oh, I would assume bottom should be fairly uh, well. Sean's second game is up today, so Marty should be fine I, I, I don't think it was just a, a precautionary thing today that's all
1: and in fairness to you, you're getting a chance you mentioned young players you're getting a chance to reload young players and um, you played well and a few of the experience ledger on today put in a good shift as well you were just a little bit unlucky in the end it got away from you
2: yeah well look you make your own look too you mean and that and you have to fight hard for your own look and, and things that way so I, and I think what we did well in, in patches there's things we have to learn and uh, I, I suppose with a with a new panel there's learnings that happen every day this is early in the year still for us we were only we really only got back to start of Start of January at stuff, and it would still, you mean, work of eight weeks or whatever, seven or eight weeks into it now at this stage, like I mean, so it's still early days as such, like you know.
1: And it's going to be busy, Tom, the next few weeks because two matches left in the league, and the John Mack is going to come in straight away, so there's going to be no rest for the wicket. And normally it's a great time of the year for the 2A teams and for the Carlos and the Kerries of this world, so you're surely looking forward to that anyway. But big times ahead for Carlo Hurling
2: Oh, no, we're absolutely that's that's why we're training that's why we're putting in the effort. That's why I suppose today is, is a little bit disappointing in relation to, to the effort put in for the last two weeks has been, has been excellent by. By those who are fit and healthy and ready to go, you mean, and just not to get the result here today um, is, is disappointing. There's no point saying otherwise, you mean, that's that's what we came here for today. We're hoping to get get two points on the board here um, and to add to the West match and things like that. But it's uh, like uh, we'll learn out today, and I think if we can bring those learnings forward, that'll be good for us.
1: you know plenty of these Kildare lads the next time you play because I didn't see you since your great days with Nace, so congratulations on that few weeks ago. You've been a busy man, you've always been busy, you've been very helpful to us on radio here in Kilkenny and Carlow. But uh, Kildare and Carlow, you'll know most the Kildare team as well as you know the Carlow team.
2: I don't know whether that's going to be any good to us. I mean, it's uh, it, 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 it's 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 done well. It's grand to know, and I think they're winning up and down too. So that's kind of something we we didn't manage to do. So I, I think we've got a big task on our hands next next weekend, and it's first of all is to is to realise it and, and realise what what needs to be done up there. You I mean to kind of try and get a result out out, out out of Newbridge? That's going to be a big ask for us. But look, we'll have to go. We'll we'll be, we will be going there with the intent of getting the result out. like you know,
1: well, we wish you well, Tom, and congratulations on the All Ireland And I know we're going back to 2013, 14 with the Rangers, but they've had great success, and long may continue man. Commiserations on today but I wish you really well with Carlo on the next two league games and certainly in the Joe Mike, we're really looking forward to that.
2: Thanks very much Brendan Please.
1: Thanks a million, Thanks. Thanks, million. Thanks for that. Thanks for it.
0: We also heard from Kilkenny manager Brian Cody after his team's victory over Leash in the Allianz League.
3: Now, you've given players numerous chances throughout the league thus far and in the Welsh Cup. I mean, you must be getting to the stage where you nearly have to look at uh, a, a settled team, if we put it
2: that way.
1: No doubt about that, yeah, for sure. And obviously, very, very difficult to have a settled team when you're, you have players with injuries and that, but that's part and parcel of it. But certainly, uh, we will be. Um, Trying to piece together the whole thing very very soon. Is that one of the difficulties of the whole new G A season now that any players who pick up injuries they get very little time to recover. Actually, get no time at all. You know, I mean, we're playing like Saturday evening, and obviously a couple of fellas pulled up today with injuries. So the chances of those players being available are almost nil. There's a lot of lads putting their hands up there. You
3: know, the. They're putting inlands on in their performance.
1: Yeah, well look, I mean that's what we'll be hoping for, you know, that's part and parcel of what we would try to do for the league. And you know, we want to make it as competitive as possible and to have a competitive panel and we'll see where we go after this. Because winning is what is gonna make the, the new players, isn't it? It's a habit so. It's... Ah, yeah, it's confidence, confidence for them, like you know that. Um, like you said, some of them are putting their hand up and, and that's good.
0: Next up we have Liam Griffin, the last man to lead Wexford to All-Ireland victory.
4: Welcome back to Scoreline with myself, Shane O'Keefe. Now I have the pleasure of speaking to the last man to lead Wexford to All-Ireland glory in 1996, Mr. Liam Griffin. The former Wexford manager has recently shared his thoughts about the slide in participation rates in hurling and what needs to be done to tackle it. First of all, Liam, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for speaking with us today.
5: No problem, Shane. I'm glad
4: to be there. Uh, You've recently fashioned two motions, one aimed at fully identifying the problem, which I just specified, and the other to begin to address it. The attention for them is to be on the annual Congress next year. First of all, what, in your opinion, is the crux of the issue?
5: Well, the first thing is that the first motion that that, <clears throat> that we put in there was um, actually supposed to go to the convention, that con- Congress this year. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's due to some problem in the office. It didn't get there. At, uh, it was late being entered, even though it was passed in Wexford. And it didn't get onto the floor. But look that's unfortunate i don't believe it was anything sinister but look i'm disappointed it didn't make it now there's two things first of all we have uh, had an uh, analysis coming down from the ERSI in 2013 on, a, on, a, on a, a with a document called keeping them in the game which studied all sports and and where they stood now from my perspective um, I love all sport, but I, I I love my own sports, hurling and football, uh, more than the others. So and I'm interested. So I studied that document, and that document showed that we had a 60% drop off in in uh, in, in hurling or a 70% drop off in football. I'm not sure which now, 60, 70, and we did drop off in football, which were alarming statistics. back and by any by any stretch of the imagination would be a crisis. But we spoke with Crow Park when I was in the Club Players Association. And uh, <clears throat> I'm not saying they were totally dismissive, but they were they were quite dismissive, uh, and didn't accept that this this was actually the, the the truth on the ground. Now all I can say is that uh, when I said, well then where's our proof to say it's not? Um, there was none forthcoming, to be honest with you, uh, and there wasn't any there. So my point was, we need to do analysis, and we need to know our own business. We're not going to believe outside of people's. Uh, Uh, study of sport and come up with what what would be lies if that wasn't correct so from our perspective my point was why don't we start to analyse our own game because I have issues in relation to Hurling and I'll come back to that in a second so I put a motion in that we have appoint an analyst for every single club in the country and for every county board and uh, at the end of the day that the analysis would be strictly kept on a certain system and that what will happen then is that instead of going to Congress and sitting down and listening to stuff and just putting your hand up uh, they would be able to show a chart at the end of the year for how you were doing in every county and every county would be able to show a chart at their county conventions or a county board to show how well some clubs were doing how badly others were doing and that's not fair to the kids if somebody if the club is doing badly it needs to be identified and those were the issues for surrounding that particular document. And then we would know ourselves and gather our own intelligence. Curriculum was gathering their own intelligence back in the 1800s. and can tell you who, who did, who had any wickets at all. Sorts. So analysis and the games have gone mad and we're not analysing, analysing the main problem for ourselves as a sport and we need to keep analysing it. That was number one.
4: <clears throat> and in, in, in your own opinion, then, without the analysis being done, what do you think why do you think that we've seen a drop off in participation in Gaelic games particularly in hurling and in camogie
5: uh, well i think to the drop off in camogie <coughs> can be probably accounted for uh, girls when they get married or get pregnant and have, uh, have children and so forth may miss for a while and that be, probably would become quite a, like maybe an anomaly because if I look at the Euler team now at the moment, I know all of those girls and they've come back to play again having had babies and get married and so forth. So that, there might be an anomaly in that. I'm not sure on the camogie side. But what I do know is that the figure on the, on the hurling side, we can't afford to lose people from the game of hurling and that's an absolute fact and if we're going to keep going and this brings me to part two to, um, the irish sports council together with sheffield hallam university who have a very reputable body by the way uh for doing studies they did a study on the game on our games game. and uh, it came out in, t- in t- july or june of this year 2021 because we in hurling have dropped below the, out of the top 10 sports played in ireland and and that's across the island. And my point is, is that not another alarm bell that's ringing out there? Why don't we know where we're dropping out, What's happening? So we need to start doing our own intelligence gathering if we're not going to accept the intelligence gathering of others. And I'm not looking for any kudos on this. I'm just a, I'm just a, a, an interested volunteer. And i I don't want to see the game go, but if you look at the if you look around the country and see the counties that are strong on hurling, since I was a child, uh, there's very little change, and we haven't made any 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 inroads into getting more people to play the game and My point is every child in the country should have an opportunity to play hurling, and that's not the case, and that's not the case a lot in the north of Ireland actually, which is surprising. Since um, they're the bastion of, of of lots of other things, but that's not that that that's that's surprising. But what my point was that we introduced a system where every GA club had to produce a hurling team up to the age of twelve. So therefore, there was a hurling nursery, so the kids could go and be and and have hurling. Now there are issues in relation to places like Wexford Town, in fact. So that motion got shot down. Now the Wexford situation is unique in some respects, in that. Wexford Town has several football clubs and they have no hurling team because hurling and football is the traditional game in Wexford Town actually up until the middle of the forties. So they didn't have they didn't have the the hurling so they joined the Fighter. But what I was saying at that was you could easily handle that in if where there's where there's two clubs, one one providing, just have a register of players in both clubs and then you just check the register of players to say, Right, okay, i are give it an opportunity to be exposed to hurling and that would be the responsibility and you could then you could then Link this to granted for 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 for, for, for uh, county boards on the basis of their performance, and we then could have a performance situation in relation to what we're doing for the games.
4: The, you mentioned the Sports Council and Sheffield hamill University report in 2019. Once again, it revealed that hurling was outside the top 10 most played sports yes. in Ireland. Like that's yes. an incredible statistic to just to to read, let alone fathom the actual real. Factors that are behind that—it it, it shows that the situation is a lot more urgent, I believe, than people think.
5: Well, if we're going to get a report in 2013, just telling us that this 60% drop out and 70% drop out in our football as well. So, if we're going to get these statistics, and we're not going to be proactive, from my perspective, I—I think, and I'm not being, in any way. You know, you get treated. You don't get treated greatly when you you go on the outside to say something. I'm only saying it because I I would have a concern for the game. It's nothing personal. It's nothing like that. It's not. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody whatsoever. But we haven't grown the game, and we have to admit to it. And now we see that we're actually losing losing people from the game. And what I'm saying is that if we are a real GA club, and we really, really want to, you know, fashion, the, you know, that the hurling must grow. Surely the first thing would have to be was that we'd have to actually ask or, or actually suggest that all GA clubs should produce hurling, hurling up to at least nursery level, say, from the early age upwards. And then kids would at least give me off the opportunity. For example, why shouldn't every child? I love hurling. I absolutely adore it. I love football as well. And there's nothing better than going out chasing a hurling ball in the middle of a field of a fine evening and, you know, picking it up and letting it fly. And, you know, it's just a, an exhilarating feeling, which is actually unique. Now, we talk about the uniqueness of our game. But, I mean, we can't sell a unique game of all that stuff to our own citizens. And it's not because the citizens don't want it. Because from my situation on the ground, the citizens do want it. I've had... So many people come to me in all sorts of circles that said they never got a chance to play hurling. And so that's an indictment of ourselves, of whether it's a a fault. It's not a, a contrived fault, but it's a fault. So we need to address that. And the only way we can address it is by making sure we have sufficient outlets, because the biggest thing that sport needs is volume. You won't, you won't actually you won't actually keep everybody that starts the sport, but you need the volume to start so you can get the maximum volume to play the game, and it will make it much more much more exciting, and it will give young boys an equal opportunity. And this is the this is the era of everybody wants to be equal now at this point, and here we are in our game. And if we don't if we don't take take a structural approach to our game. You know, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're actually out of line. We're, we're not giving equal opportunities to people who want to play the game hurling. In fact, we have an apartheid system, if you want to look at it, in certain places around the country where there's no hurling.
4: Now, the outgoing national development hurling manager was Kilkenny man Martin Fogarty. Do you feel a like great man,
5: by the way? Great, a man, great man, fantastic and a, man, and a, passion, and a passionate hurling man, and I respect him very, very much. Uh, you know around the country absolutely
4: but, but do you feel roles like that are the way forward or does there need to be more done than just having an individual position in place to promote the sport
5: no I think there's a, uh, I think there should be a, uh, a body established to sit down and examine the, you know accept that these uh, that we need to analyse accept, accept that we need to know our own information and accept that we haven't been able to develop the game of hurling and why now I'm saying that if you don't get the clubs to play it, you won't develop it. It can't happen. Now, some counties just want to concentrate on football, and I don't blame them for that. That's their idea. But at the same time, not at the expense of giving kids a chance to play the game of hurling, like people have over the You have some fantastic players in Kilkenny. You've always had fantastic players in Kilkenny. But there's no reason why, you fellas, in I saw a guy from Iraq getting the power of Iran getting the point there last year in the final for Leeds and winning the game mm-hmm. at a lower level but like he was well capable of putting over a fine point as you could see in Crow Park so it's not, like, this, this doesn't mean seed, creed or generation everybody any boy or girl who wants to play the game should be given the opportunity and I suppose that would be the first target can we get the opportunity and how do we do that through the clubs we're in every community in the country we have it we're halfway there if we have it there, but why can we not get holding into those places, and why haven't we a reason to get it in, and why haven't we got the you know the, the the kind of the way of making sure that that's that the kids are not being uh marginalized by not getting the game and that's the way the way to do that is to have an accountability and people produce their statistics and then examine them and then but not by not by actually. Uh, heavy-handedness, but you could easily argue then in a rational way that the, the club should have hurling in the, within the club, to give the kids who want to play uh, hurling a chance. Because I can tell you now, I've had lots of people come to me with various different cases of whereby kids going to a certain school in some of the counties, when they went to the school, they could play hurling with the school, then they could play for the for the town in which the school was in, and then all of a sudden they brought in a rule in the, to say that they couldn't play hurling unless there was a hurling club in their, own, in their own club, which they knew there wasn't, and then they couldn't play hurling at all. So we threw out of the game. So I mean, like that's just not acceptable. So if anyone that really wants to cherish the game of hurling and think it should be given a fair chance, that's surely not right. So there are ways and means. All we need is the will. But we certainly need to change a lot of our systems that are that are, like, probably not fit for purpose now and see, can we get that kind of a system in place and, 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 and see, can we do something? So that's why I put, want to put that motion in and have it debated. But you know what, as well, that system of debate, we missed that debate. We missed this year's Congress by being a, being a couple of days late uh, for the CLAIR. And what happens? You can't come back again for, for another year, which mm-hmm. I feel disappointed we've lost the whole year, you know, because, uh, you know, that shouldn't happen. But the system is a bit unwieldy, and that's the truth
4: you mentioned cherishing the game of hurling which kind of brought something into my head there do you worry that this slide is going to continue to happen due to in part the fact that hurling people with the best of intentions, they only see the good side of the game, generally, and there's an element of groupthink when it comes to talking about the positives and negatives in the game, rather than looking at it objectively
5: I agree with that I mean, I agree with that, I'm absolutely totally, no problem, but my point is that you know, and this I wasn't trying to be sarcastic. I said that, that um, Kate Middleton, Middleton got more training than 10 young kids in our country got for uh, yes. had hurling in their hand more often than like, she came you. over. But, like, the point is that we, we actually give uh, all sorts of people hurlies to go back with because they're so great. But that's really a little bit hip, hypocritical if we can't spread it in our own country the way we should. And we haven't been able to do that. Now, there have been great efforts made, but unless we're missing a trick here... There's great efforts being made, but unless you go into a county and you can say if Martin Fogarty could have walked into a county and that every club, every every single club had to produce a hurling team at nursery level, uh, except like the uh, anomaly like that in Wexford, whereby there's a football club, uh, hurling club in the town and there's to, a share. Yes, I could say you 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 wouldn't insist on either, but you just insist that the boys that are in girls or whatever that they get the opportunity. So it's not it's until such time as you uh, such time as you get it going on the ground. And to, for the likes of American Fogarty, wouldn't it be nice to know always go into a county where every single, every single club has a hurling nursery? Now you could work with that, and now you could make it happen. And then you, you'd hope then that the kids would have the desire, and that the club would eventually go on to have an adult club. But we didn't even say put in an adult club yet. Let's try the nursery first and see where that goes. Hurling is no threat to football, and my club plays hurling and football. And I, and I actually am totally in favour of both Hurling and football I'm in favour of both and that's why I joined the Club Players Association because I wanted to see could we get a better calendar now we have a calendar now where we can work with like before our our calendar was absolutely crazy because you never knew when you were going to play we're the only sport in, 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 uh, that I knew on the planet that didn't know when they were playing because in our case in Wexford, if you drew Kilkenny in the first round you were going to the qualifiers if you lost the game and, you know, to a, to, a, to a modern family where the wife is paying the mortgage as well as the husband. And at Christmas time, ask him where he's going on this and say, well, we don't know. Wexford are playing play in the first round and <laughs> if we're beating them in the qualifiers. And she says, and your, and your, and your, and your point is like, and she's paying half the mortgage. <laughs> hey, listen, this is in the modern world now. And then he says, oh, Jesus, I'm not finished. We're we playing football as well. And if we're beaten by Dublin, which we will be, we're in the qualifiers there as well. And she said, here get a life zone, I'm out of here so you know what I mean it's just it's just not, you're not catering for the needs of the people and that's why you're getting the dropout why do you think you're getting the dropout for well, us get disenfranchised with the what's going on and then all of a sudden they're getting grief at home as well for not being able to for not being able to participate in the home the way they should and not even know where they're going not know and then we got pilloried in Crow Park there in fairness for uh, having the cheek to have a, a club players association. Now, look, that's all I, I can take. I, I don't mind the hits. I got plenty of them. So there's no point in worrying about that. We got it past at least and we got some kind of system. on uh, it. And I think it's a much better and a much improved system. At least everyone knows when the games are on and everyone sees where, they are, where, they're, where they're going to wind up. So it's, it makes lots of sense to have a look at all structures Uh, and when we're going to examine about developing the game of hurling we need to look at the structure from the cradle to the fellows finish playing and we need to look at it and see if it's fit for purpose and at the moment I'm saying with respect it's not fit for purpose we're not going to develop it unless we have a completely different mindset towards it and that means get the clubs to play hurling
4: Do you think the kind of move of hurling into almost a a professionalism in everything but name has kind of gone towards this dropout as well we've seen it with under 20 players I, in-
5: think, I, th- I think it has and I think it's going to get worse it's going to, it's going to get worse exponentially because the great are going to get further up the field and until some people think it's just this pointless it's now down to an elite sport now it shouldn't be an elite sport I was on the, on the committee the stuff that Chris Deving, the Nicky Racker, and all those things at that time to give fellas at that level a chance Mm. But then you wind up, you know, that winds up, and then you have the next thing that happens. For example, we had in Leinster Leash and Offaly is very strong as well, very strong counties. Right? Kilkenny and Kilkenny and Wexford and Dublin and Dublin weren't strong either. But Dub- Dublin becomes stronger now, which is good. That's a good thing. I'm glad Dublin strong. I'd love to see Offaly and Leash back. But when when we went up to the club players association meeting, um, somebody said that was Offaly's county's board's fault that it was falling fallen through the cracks. Like, Offaly were a fantastic hurling team uh, back in the, in the 80s and 90s. Fantastic. Yeah. And it was great to see it. But we need to have some kind of an overview that why is things falling out and why are they starting to slide? Because if we don't address the slide in some of the ca- kind of counties that were there, like Leash and, and, and Offaly at that stage, now Leash may be stronger again, I'm not suggesting they won't be, but we need to have red flags going up there. And we just say, hey, what the hell... Just saying to you uh, from, uh, uh, in Crow Park, well, it's not our fault, it's, 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 it's the county board's fault. But the game is not about the county board. The game is about the people who play it, and it's about the structure of the game throughout the country. And the welfare and and, and, and development of that game surely has to be at the top of our association. Yeah. And it has to have red flags where we might vital to start to lose people. So we need to, need to know the reasons why. So if we start to do analysis... Instead of going to meetings and, and, and giving out at that county board about something, somebody should be able to say, you could start doing a bit of work in your own club, by the way. <laughs> we don't see you featured on a, one, a scale of 1 to 10 of, of what the clubs are like individually in relation to the game. So, you know, it's, it's easy. I believe it's, this, is not, this is not difficult. This needs an acceptance. All it needs is an acceptance. And then it needs a strategy. And the strategy then needs a plan. And the plan then needs to be enforced.
4: And enforced sounds a strong word. But if we're going to do it, let's do it right. Now, you mentioned the 90s. That's just my opinion. That's
5: just my opinion.
4: You you mentioned the 90s, Liam, and it'd be remiss of me if I didn't talk to you about one of the great moments for the sport was when your Wexford side won the All-Ireland in 1996. The 25th anniversary of that famous win was celebrated last year. Just how special of a moment was that for you personally to lead your county to the pinnacle of, of the sport?
5: Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be uh, open, uh, modest. I never managed to win on the field of play. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, that was my big desire as a kid. I could uh, make all the excuses why, but I had to emigrate when I was younger. I didn't have to, but it was part of my education. I had to go. But so, I missed out a lot. And I was actually uh, playing senior in County Hurling at the time, but I was, funnily, I was playing for Claire that time, because it was over there. I was in the hotel school in Shannon. But from my, look, I'm... I was born in, into the era of the great Wexford hurling teams. I happened to be great friends with Ned Wheeler and Billy Rackard over my lifetime and people like that. We had fantastic hurling teams at that particular time. And we, we fell off the radar. And I'll be honest with you, the reason I took the job was because uh, I just felt if we didn't win something before uh, the turn of the century, that we were, that we were gone. And if you want to, you know, you can see yourself the anomalies we talked about a minute ago that, that are gone. Or I find it very hard to come back. But from my perspective, when, I, when it was put up to me to do the job, and it wasn't that I was looking for that job. I wanted to do the county minor job, but mm. surely wouldn't give it to me. And I, that's fair enough. I, that's all right. I was beaten on the boat for several times because I wanted to do that because I felt I could put an input into creating players for the senior team. So what it meant to me was we recovered that Wexford I I I was disappointed coming back all the time getting beatings and bad beatings in, in, in you know in the Crow Park and so forth and I felt like really emotional about it because that wasn't the Wexford that we knew, and all I wanted to do was to try and do my living best and put together a team of defenders behind the team because don't forget managers don't win matches. The group around them who helped who help, and the people around me were fantastic. I had a great group around me and the lads were great as well and responded. But it meant so much to me to be standing out in the, on the pitch in Crawl Park and then on. And finally, I wanted to be on the pitch with the lads. I didn't want to be standing on the sidelines. If you'd have told me as a young lad you want to be a manager, I'd have said, you must be bloody joking. But, <laughs> Lucas, I had a passion. I was related to several fellas in middle of wexford and I wanted to see us back there and that's it. And you know what? The sad thing? A son of mine last year sent me a text. He's a good guy and he did a study on Wexford Hurting for us, and a really good one uh, for the fault lines. And he said, Dad, a couple of more years now and it's 28 years again. So we're 25 years since we won All Ireland. And honestly, that's not good enough. We've won all, won all Ireland in 52 years. And that's absolutely not good enough for a county like ours. Now we're putting good work in and we've got good chairman there now doing a lot of good work trying to get us back. But this thing of trying to be getting back all the time is tedious, you know what I mean? We shouldn't be going down to go back, to so be coming back. But I'm proud of Wexford won. I'm delighted they won. I'm delighted and privileged to have played a part. But, uh, uh, you know, it's... <laughs> It's just I, I can't describe what it's like to do it, you know. Mm. Well, it's just uh, it's a, a, a bit different. <laughs> it's just a different feeling, you
4: know. And you're you're mentioning coming up on that 28 years once again, and since that golden era, we've seen great sides in Kilkenny and Cork and Tip up until recently Limerick, of course. Now, but do you think there, that may be a reason for the for the drop off then of the of the counties on the periphery of winning the All Ireland, such as your Wexford, such as your your Dublin, your yeah, Waterford? Yeah.
5: Yeah, you look at it's 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 actually I, I actually love seeing change and not against any county within an Ireland final, I'd be in favor of much more counties within Northern Ireland Finals. And, you know, you look at the way foot actually if, if you take if you take a look at Hurling and the elite counties it's a kind of a mirror image of Leinster football the way Dublin dominated it. Mm. You're not, you're not, you know, you people are trying to get back to it, back there now, but it's a big struggle. So it's ten years is a long time for for, 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 for uh, you know not to be not to be making progress. So I actually think that we act the top teams the top teams are are very very good. But we need more teams at the top. But if we don't give them a pathway to progress, they won't get there. And if you see it now, people coming up from just one step below the top are finding it desperately difficult to try and cope at the top level. So like, that's, that's the worry that the, the good ones have to get better to beat each other. And that's lost on the teams coming up from below. They haven't gone into that circle. We got back to we were in Division Two in my time, and then we we our first one was to get back into Division One, which which we did. So we we need to be playing Division One hurling, uh, and 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 that's what we needed to do to stay up there constantly. Now we're playing Division One hurling now, and we've been playing reasonably well in it in the last while, but we need to stay there and other counties need to be able to get to that standard when they're getting up there and that gap gap between the first tier and the second tier is widening in my opinion. It's widening in my opinion, absolutely widening. So, you know, that's that's the worrying thing about it and that means that you're not getting enough volume in the counties that are playing the game because the volume falls off if the top, top team is not going well. So, you know everybody in Wexford had a hurling for a couple of years there now, and still is still strong now because Davy bought a lot to Wexford hurling as well. He's not everybody's cup of tea, but he certainly got us into the first division, and he did a lot of good work for Wexford. But he certainly engendered a great interest in hurling again, which was very good for Wexford as well. So fair fair dues to him, man. I, I'm, I'm glad he came to do that. So that was, that's important for us. But that has to happen across the board. Now, if you're going to not be in, that, in the framework of the top teams, it means probably the volume of players you're producing from the bottom. And that's another reason why I put in that motion as well. The bottom, uh, where it's not producing the players, you're not getting sufficient volume to raise the standard. It's said in sport that it took 5,000 players to produce one John Mackinac. I remember reading it many years ago in tennis. 5,000 players, I think, or 500 players, maybe even. Maybe I'm exaggerating by saying 5,000. But I think they said that many players to get to that standard. So we need volume from the bottom to grow the game of hurling and make it better.
4: Yeah, we've we've seen uh, Willie Quinlan lament the fact that players in their mid twenties have significantly dropped off from the Carlo football team uh, over the past while, and it's proven to be a very difficult, big problem for them due to maybe not getting support over the years. Um, you yourself, looking ahead now to Dara Egan's reign, you were involved in Davy Fitz's uh, backroom team at Wexford recently, but now no, looking, no,
5: I wasn't. No, no you I weren't. Oh, I oh, no, apologies. no, Involved like with Liam it right? <laughs> I was with Liam it Yeah.
4: Well uh, how, yeah. how how do you think new manager Darry Egan will do in his first year?
5: I I don't know. I just don't, actually don't know. He's a good start and a good a good couple of wins in the league. I think this is going to be a big test on Sunday playing Galway in Galway mm. and it's important that we give them, you know, that we, that we stay with them, that we don't walk out. That Dublin match was an aberration actually, that Welsh Cup match and that that, 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 that there was lots of reasons why that was as bad as it was but <clears throat> I just think that Galway are coming down here to play us in the first round of the Championship so it'll be very important to put it up to them when they, when they go up there on Sunday at least be very competitive and I'm sure they will but if they're very competitive then they've caught then afterwards and uh, that's another game where he'd be very competitive. So these next couple of big games, and they're playing awfully as well, in those in those couple of big games, I would say if Darren Egan, if he can stay in there and do really, really well in those games without without not necessarily winning those two games, it'd be a bonus if he did, and he'd be better start with the first one first, if he could win that. And if he could win that, that'd be great. And uh, I, But I, I, in all honesty, if you're looking at the farm horses and so forth, you'd have to say Wexford. Uh, probably won't win that but you'd like to see them put up a really good uh, good show and keep their confidence going now and keep their confidence in Daryl Egan going as well with that so I think that's the best method for us and then stay competitive in the championship and then that'll be year one because you're not going to come into a county like Wexford and uh, win Ireland in the first year or win Leinster maybe. You might win Leinster, but as I tell you, it's more wide open than it was before. But at the same time, uh, it'll be a big ask. But I think so far he's doing well and hopefully now he can keep the show on the
4: road. And from a KSLR perspective, we're hoping that Brian Cody is going to get the show back on the road. Looking at objectively, maybe rather than with our blinkered eyes here in Kilkenny, what chance do you say Brian Cody's side have a win in All-Ireland for the first time since 2015?
5: Well, you must remember that Brian Cody is rebuilding the team. Brian Cody had uh, had, the, had the Barcelona of, 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 of sport up there for for several years. Yeah. And, uh, like you know, in fairness to Brian Cody, like... The man, the word icons and all those things are fired around too easily, I can tell you. But, uh,. As I said, someone said to me, I was an icon. I said, not even an icon in my own house. You economy me or what? So <laughs> the point is that, so from from his point of view, he's done a magnificent job, but he's team building. And uh, I know too many people are impatient and that's what makes them great because they want to win. And that's what we want to we want to win. We want to win and we, we want like to, want to win over all the years. But the kind of desire failed us on occasions as well. Not enough people wanted to, that much. But I think... He's building a team, and you couldn't expect him to win the Ireland this year. But look, at, he's uh, he's got he's got into uh, semi-finals and and winning leagues and so forth. And Kilkenny, look, at since I was a child, I'm listening for Kilkenny's demise. Uh, since I was a child, mm. Kilkenny broke my heart a thousand times. Uh, that's a fact. And all I remember is there was never a time that Kilkenny weren't uh, weren't. They just faded for a while, but they always came back. And the holding is is very safe in Kilkenny. And uh, they've had great administrators, administrators over the county, good managers, and, and that's it. Uh, but then your sole focus uh, is on hurling to to a great extent. I know you're football, and that couldn't it couldn't rear up on me if I told them that yeah. you weren't playing football. You are playing football, but your main focus is hurling. And that's fine. At least there's football being played in, the Kilkenny, in Kilkenny, which they don't get credit for, to be honest, outside. But I think Kilkenny will always be fair and safe, and uh, you'll find a way back and... I don't see you being at it for long. In fact, you'd be one of the counties that I would put down that, that have, a, have a plan for beating Limerick. And they'll take beating. And I think the start is there to lose now, from all accounts. So hopefully we
4: can get change and, and change and change often. Well, Liam, thank you so much for being so kind with your time. I can say when you were talking about the word icon and have been thrown around quite a lot, our very own Sinead Kyo from Wexford did say you were a god of Wexford. So
5: <laughs> <laughs> tell, her, tell, tell her to give a life. I, I'm far from a god, I can tell you. Uh, I tell her, they weren't calling me a god for a long time, I can tell you. I, I wouldn't be able to repeat on, on public radio the names I have been called. But you know what? I don't mind and I don't bear any grudge against anybody anywhere because I probably did something similar myself at some stage. No, so anyway, we're all half mad in this game anyway so we was settled for that.
4: Liam, thanks ever so much. An absolute gentleman in every sense of the word and uh, look forward to speaking to you again and seeing how this all unfolds.
5: Thanks Shane, thanks very much and best of luck to everybody.
0: Next, we hear from Brian Barry, author of Mickey Whelan, Love of the Game.
4: Welcome back to Scoreline. Now, joining me on the line is Sky Sports journalist and author of Mickey Whelan, Love of the Game, Brian Barry. Whelan was Pat Gilroy's right-hand man as Dublin ended their long wait for an all ireland football title in 2011 when they defeated Kerry. First of all, Brian, thanks very much for taking the time, sir.
6: No worries at all. Thanks for having me, Hey,
4: uh, It's a fascinating uh, book, it looks like. For our listeners who may not know who Mickey Whelan is, could you explain them about his role in Dublin GEA as a player and then following on from his retirement?
6: Yeah, well, how much time do we have, I suppose? <laughs> uh, as you mentioned there, he was part of the Pat Gilroy's team there um, from 2009 to 2011, obviously, when uh, a bit of a renaissance of Dublin football ended in a 16-year wait for the All-Ireland. But that probably... It's probably even when I was taken on this project, didn't realise how much of a kind of hand he did have in the Dublin GA story uh, throughout several decades. Like he came onto the Dublin football team in 1959 as a teenager himself and basically was intrinsically involved in Dublin GA in every decade since, be it as a player, be it as, I suppose, in the background, helping Kevin Heffernan during the 1970s, be it uh, Manjun Vincent at various stages to all Ireland finals. Took over Dublin manager himself in the 90s, which didn't obviously probably didn't work out too well for him for anybody that might remember that period. But, um, and then came back, um, more recently, you know, conscious of Monica Kenny radio station, he (laughs) he, he was involved in the Hurling as well in 2018 with Pat Gilroy as well. And he's he's still managing Vincent's Camogie team or coaching the Vincent senior Camogie team. You know, it's I, I think it's 82 years young, so um bit of a madman by all accounts, but no, uh, a very kind of hands-on role. And I I suppose his story is one synonymous with uh, the story of WGA.
4: Yeah, we so often get lost in, say, just looking at players and looking at managers and the volunteers and the people in the backroom staff kind of get forgotten about at some times. What was it about Mickey's journey then that drew you in and made you feel as if it is a story that had to be told?
7: Um,
6: I, I suppose just uh, the imprint he left, not only on Dublin GA, but Irish sport. Um d I, I, I don't think it uh travel to a club in Ireland and look at a bit of coaching that you wouldn't see some impact of his coaching. Um for for instance the the GA GO games was pretty much based on a PhD he completed during the noughties. Um Things like that. He's, uh, I suppose, he was a coach and master of Irish sport. Full stop. Be that, you know, when you see those imprints in soccer, he he spent time with Dundalk, obviously in GA and Gaelic football particularly, but also Ireland. And he left. uh, I suppose uh, to to get talking to people, and actually, it's not only his accounts in the book; it's uh, accounts of several other people, and. Hopefully if anybody reads it, they'll see the imprint that he left on Irish sports and you get glowing accounts from not only Dubliners, but uh, GA people from all over Ireland.
4: Before you put actual pen to paper, before you have the hard copy, before you have all that, there's work that starts well before any of that. How did you get involved then in writing this book?
6: Yeah, so um, I was in touch with Hero Books publisher, Liam Hayes, uh, who used to play for Mead as well. Um, And uh, Liam approached me and said, here, look, I'm I'm working with Mickey Whelan and we'd like to put his story to paper. Uh, So he approached me, he said, what do you think? I said, I'd be interested, obviously, but only if, like, you know, there's a... Chemistry there, the repertoire there. So I met up with Mickey, had a cup of coffee. Obviously, here o- over the course of this project, now we were in and out of lockdowns and everything like that. So it might have always been a physical cup of tea or anything that might have been over Zoom or it might have been, you know, a socially distanced table inside and in, in his office in D C U or something like that. But um, but over the course, yeah. And then as you say, it's. Uh, it's uh, it's no fun putting uh, uh, once you actually uh, start with a blank page and have to put down 80,000 words together get her out. but um but over the course of it yeah you're chatting to him and you know it's, it's heavy research involved so I'm sure anybody who, who's listening who may have ever written a book knows it's fairly painstaking at times but it's more about the research it's about picking your subject's brain and then you're chatting to people in around him not only family, friends, people who might might have uh, played with him um, people who he's coached down through the years and anybody who's kind of you know, uh, might have an insight into Mickey and his life so um, uh, as I say yeah, it's a, I, 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 I won't say it, it was the smooth, it's the smoothest right to write a book from start to finish but thankfully here now and it's hitting the shelves next month so looking forward to that
4: yeah, like we can say from a hero of books, publications, we read the Frankie Dolan one in here on Scoreline. It was just tremendous to get an insight into it, and we got to chat with him as well. And A fantastic book by all accounts, and if it's anything kind of following in the similar vein, no doubt it'll be a book that you don't want to put down. Uh, looking back on the moment in 2011, when Dublin won that All-Ireland after the 16-year wait, how important was that laying down the foundation for the tremendous success that was to come over the next decade?
6: Well, uh, I, th- I think you probably see yourself. Um, if you look at even just the personnel, um, uh, how, how many guys have picked up seven and eight All-Ireland. So now that uh, James McCarthy, Michael Fitzsimmons are still there um, from that team, but essentially there were several of that team who backboned for you know for to go on to be the five six in a row, and obviously the first All-Ireland under Jim Gavin as well. So. I think that success speaks for itself, but they cultivated a culture and they cultivated. They turned it around. Dublin football, I suppose, was in the Doldrums there for several years throughout the noughties. they were they were winning Leinster titles for fun. But then when push came to shove in the All Ireland series, it was actually there were Leinster teams going a lot further than them. You know, Meath got to All Ireland semi-finals around then. Wexford got to an All Ireland semi-final, and Dublin, who were taking care of them handy. Um, as suppose uh, G- Gilroy and, uh, and Mickey Whelan and uh, and the rest of the backroom team, Paddy O'Donoghue and David Hickey, they all, you know, they turned that ship around and they, uh, they turned it into a winning dressing room. And what followed is, well, undoubtedly the most uh, successful period for any Gaelic football team in history.
4: And the book itself then, does it delve into that period quite a bit or are you kind of looking back over the whole trajectory of his involvement within GAA?
6: Well, a bit of both, yeah. Um, uh, like, it, uh, it obviously is quite, um, it, it's part of the story arc and a very significant section of that, his um, is time in charge of Dublin. But as I say, it, it ranges, it's uh, not only a, a history of uh, Dublin GA and as I mentioned, his story is synonymous with that of GA uh, in, in the capital of both, You know, it's, it's telling his story of how we. He went away to America in the 1970s to to study because the sports science and physical education degrees nothing was really suited to him in Ireland, and he made a tough decision as a 29 year old to walk away from the Dublin panel that that team that turned so successful under um, Kevin Heffernan in the 1970s, and he probably sacrificed a few All Ireland medals for that, but what he gave back to Irish sport and his contribution to Irish sport through coaching down for years with DIT and DCU was immeasurable. So you're telling the story of that telling the story of and it's amazing really I was surprised just how many kind of teams he has coached down for the years and I'd be fascinated to know if, the, if there's anybody in the country who could match his level be it coaching he's managed two inter-county teams Dublin and Loud he he coached Dundalk when they won a League of Ireland soccer title in the 1990s he, wow. he worked with his club St Vincent's worked with a few club teams around the country so there's you know, I don't think there's there might be as many prolific coaches in the game, but um, so so it's bringing through all that, and of course it is heavily looking at his time with um, with Dublin around um, well 13 years ago, or 10, 11, 12, 13 years ago since. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it focuses on a global picture of his story and the say which goes intertwined with that of Irish sport and Dublin Ga.
4: Yeah, it's fascinating then that you mentioned that he went to study in the US in the 70s. Can you see the evolution of the coaching throughout the book? Is that evident when you're reading it?
6: I think so, absolutely. Um, Like He kind of, unfortunately, perhaps an indictment of the Irish education system at the time that it didn't facilitate him. And I, I was speaking to Dr. Noel Moina from uh, the DCU sports department during the book, who, um, who actually oversaw Mickey's PhD. He was a supervisor during that. And Noel said that Irish sport was, I, I suppose, all the poorer right now for uh, the fact that there wasn't a PhD for Mickey to do until the noughties and the fact that he did have to go elsewhere because if he had done his PhD, In the 1980s, like coaching in Ireland and in Gaelic Games might be light years ahead of where it is now. When you think of go games, that's a legacy um, in terms of, you know, the go games, anybody who's involved in the G.A. Club that's listening knows that if you go out to an under-10s field at the moment, it's not just 15-on-15 on on a full-size pitch and the ref throws the balls in and there's two big guys in the middle of the park who are dominating everything it's all about inclusion. It's smaller games, it's less competitive, it's, it's focused on inclusion, preventing dropout or burnout or other guys who mightn't be as prominent at under 10s who might, you know, blossom to be the best senior player out there, um, but they, they mightn't have ever got a chance if they lose um, lose interest at a young age. And I think, the goal games in particular is Mickey's legacy
4: and and speaking of legacy you know you have the tremendous success of Dublin over the past decade but this how worrying is it Dublin's recent form in the league can they up their performances for the championship
6: um, oh, yeah, I've been at two games so far uh, in my role as a journalist with Sky you now uh, the Armagh the Mayo games and here look things have been looking rocky Um like Desi Farrell will point to the fact that there are he he has 46 players thus far in 2022. 20, uh, uh, that's including the Auburn Cup and the National League and three games thus far but the fact of the matter is um, I, I think the, probably a victim of his own success I suppose and the fact that the success of Jim Gavin the last few years that there is a very high expectation and although people do recognise the fact that the calibre players who have stepped away in recent years the fact of the matter is mm. I, I don't think it's palatable in Dublin um, Dublin football for them to drop in to Division 2 and they're in the relegation point right now you look at the last 10 years i've worked it out during the week that's the average points tally that's needed to finish in sixth place in the division one table and thus avoid relegation i think is 5.4 points 5.5 points um so they have four games left to get over five points realistically um so you think this weekend in newbridge on sunday afternoon is approaching must win territory for them so um is it a worry going forward? Sure, look, I think they're going to be there, thereabouts. They're going to be in the All Ireland series this year and they're going to be, you know, there, thereabouts for an All Ireland title. But at the same time, is it a worry is there's a significant dip from the last few years? Absolutely. And I think um more so than development and transition, while well, he may say that does he may say that the National League was all about that from the beginning it's must win this weekend, and results are the most important now in the coming weeks to preserve their top tier status.
4: Yeah, transition is a word that we're constantly hearing with the underperforming sides. You know, Carlo have only got their first win in uh, Division 4 as of last week, but transition once again and uh, Clekenny going through a transitional period so hopefully they'll be able to bear the fruits of their labour just like you are the book is being released on uh, March 21st in sale in all good bookstores Ireland's greatest coaching master the man who made Dublin fitter stronger smarter and greater Mickey Whelan the love of the game and we're looking forward to getting that book in our hands Uh, it mentions all good bookstores is it available online as well or where would be the best place to pick it up once it goes on sale Brian
6: yeah yeah absolutely it'll be available in all bookstores as you say there'll also be digital versions for um, for anybody who's looking to get it on the Kindle etc so anywhere you, you get your books it will be available
4: Brian thanks ever so much you've been ever so kind with your very busy schedule and we're looking forward to reading the book and maybe catching up again soon
6: no worries thanks for having me friend.
4: thanks very much Brian Barry author of Mickey Whelan Love of the Game and Sky Sports Journalist lots more still to come here on Scoreline so stick around
0: Shane also spoke to Kilkenny Intermediate Camogie star Jane Cass
8: Hi Shane, how are you? Thanks very much for having me
4: uh, It's an absolute pleasure speaking to an all-star Anytime I get a chance to do that I'll be absolutely delighted uh, We'll start off though with the inter-county stuff A bad result yesterday, how disappointing was that?
8: Yeah, no, it was disappointing now. But look, we knew going down to Waterford, look, they're a strong team and they play senior championships, so it wasn't going to be easy. So we said whatever the result is, we're gonna come away way and take stuff from it. Um it they were it was a fast enough game, you know, Waterford, they played quick passes, um, but look, there's stuff to take there from us. and we have to beat now Westmead in two weeks' time to, you know, get through. But uh conditions again are still poor. We're all between College Club and um, County there yesterday. The conditions are still poor. I think everyone's looking forward to just the weather, just, you know, best playing on better ground soon, hopefully, as well.
4: Certainly, I can attest to that myself. I was out mucking it up earlier on. (laughs) Sometimes it's nice, but sometimes, uh, especially if you're on the losing end, it's not great. No,
8: definitely not great anyway, but look, it's, it's... to become, become better anyway soon, so i look forward to that.
4: Uh, speaking of looking forward, what's the aim for the intermediate of this team? Is it to do one better than last year and actually win the All-Ireland?
8: Oh, definitely. Look, uh, uh, we were obviously disappointed in Co-Park last year, but Antrimeric Class team as well. Um, so this year we want to go on... Uh, one step, you know, further and win the All Ireland. Like there's a great team, there was a great team there last year, and you know there's new face on the panel this year. Uh, a lot of minor girls as well um, who had a great All Ireland win last year as well. So their, uh, you know, their youth is going to bring something, uh, you know, good to this team as well this year. So um, just to win it will be um, our goal for the year.
4: And what is it about Antrim that seems to be kind of been a bit of a thorn in Kilkenny's side, particularly recently?
8: Yeah, I don't know now. I know even um, look, they're a strong team and like, you know, uh, they're just, even their scoring as well, you know, they take the points and all, you know, well as well and just, I don't know, um, I suppose in Kakenny as well, we have a strong, you know, history of Camogie and to see, you know, there's a strong hold of Camogie up there as well, you know, so nothing was easy. They were a physical team last year um, and that definitely, you know, and their fish as well, you know, they were a lot of runners on that team but, uh I know it was a tough game last year. You know they're a good team, so uh, I don't know. There's a bit of a we didn't like them, but look, that's what Mo brings. <laughs>
4: yeah, there's definitely a bit of a rivalry brewing up now, yeah, kind of yeah. to match the the corks and the Galways. Uh, from a personal point of view, though, representing the, your county is obviously the pinnacle of anybody's career. How have you found it being personally been part of the panel? Oh
8: no, great! It's been excellent. Obviously, it's been a tough few years, um, but look to represent your club, you know, to be in there, um I have myself and then there's obviously me feeling and Ashley McCarthy and with the intermediates like um look it's great to be able to represent your club like you you do it for the club, you do it for your club girls. Um, back in the club you know so um, it's excellent you know I'm delighted and I'm really looking forward to getting going this year you know we've only come back from Binwish club then into college so just to get back now in and get stuck in um, I'm really looking forward to it myself
4: and moving on then to the kind of club perspective you are obviously part of the Dixborough team that won the county championship last year must have been an incredibly special moment
8: yeah, no, we, uh, look, we had a fantastic year last year, you know, uh, club is different, you know, it's it's special, uh, you're playing with girls that you've grown up with, you've, uh, you know, went to primary school, secondary school, um, you know, um, so that was just, you know, it was a fantastic win, you know, we had a t- tough semi-final last year uh, beating Thomastown and then obviously coming up against Piltown, Piltown again <clears throat> Um when we bet them in 2019 you know and Piltown and ourselves you know there's always on Thomasson as well look you never know who's going to win the senior club in in Kilkenny every year and that's what makes it special as well you know so uh, look it was an unbelievable year and that game you know I still you know look back and remember the final whistle going and just everyone just we were
4: absolutely delighted like so. And, and the manner in which he won as well It was a single point to separate the two sides it th- I don't know if that makes it more special Or anything like that But you know we've seen recently With Shamrocks in the club championship And stuff and we've seen all these Kind of last moment points And goals and stuff like that There's a one point victory Over a strong Piltown side To claim that senior Camongi title Does that make it a small bit more special Or is it just you won it And that's what you're happy with
8: no, I think it does um definitely make it special. But then look, there's I know everything as you said, the last few there's been games there, even U L um, with the Fitzgibbon like you know uh, there's been games not robbed but like it does make it special but there was you know 60 minutes before that hard work was been put in and uh, it does make a little bit more, more special to win by a single point just makes it a little bit more sweeter
4: I suppose and you mentioned the Fitzgibbon there we have to talk about the Ashburn Cup you're part of the DCU team you just, you've just you had a great year <laughs> part of the DCU team winning the Ashburn Cup unbelievable moment no doubt for yourself and getting to play with people that you know isn't, aren't from your club and isn't from your county what's that experience like because you're playing against players that you might have a bit of a rivalry with on another side of things and you're playing against players that you're generally lining out beside
8: yeah no uh, look definitely look it's as I said playing with the club especially you're playing with people you've grown up with all along and then coming up to DCU to play with girls who are you're playing look with the best at uh, the best level look you're playing with girls who are coming from different county teams we're all bringing something different you know um at the start of the year, we wouldn't have known each other at all. You know, we were getting to know each other. And then with COVID, the competition wasn't played last year. So yeah. this year, not just bringing in one year of girls, you're bringing in two years of girls. And um, it, it's definitely special because, uh, look, there's so many counties have contributed to the whole, you know, Ashburn competition. And um, definitely, like, it's it's different. But it just shows how a short few months, you just get to know the girls by going on buses, playing with each other and, you know, then obviously winning then was was class, you know. Um, it definitely was and we had a, a few uh, nights celebrating so you definitely <laughs> got to know them even more.
4: <laughs> yeah, there was no cliques or anything like that. You didn't have the Kilkenny table and you didn't have the Cork table or anything like that, no? Uh,
8: no, no, we uh, we definitely mix up. Like I know in fairness, there's a... A good. There, I think there's eleven um on that on our t- on our team. But still, you know, we. Uh, there was no clicks really. You know, we got to know everyone, and it took a little bit of time because, as you said, there was uh, girls gone with different clubs, Rhynas or, uh, Paulstown ourselves, and, you know, it, you know, it took time for us all just to get back together and regroup, and then because um, it definitely stands, um, definitely stands on a pitch. That, when you know each other so well you know um, so we should, I think definitely the last game there we knew each other so well so we got a great win then
4: Does making then the higher education all-star team is that a bit of a cherry on top of the cake for the year or is it more about accolades that you win with your team as opposed to personal ones
8: a personal and team look at the end of the day that win itself and even getting that all-star everything is a panel effort like you know you're playing with the girls around you who are driving me on and even the girls on the sideline like we'd 15, 15 have started there and that final wasn't the 15 that ended and even the whole panel there like you know a train and everyone drives to their on, and getting that all star was definitely um, the cherry on top of cake like even this year anything after a county final win with club or with colleges look everything has been that little bit extra and uh, but definitely I think obviously personally I'm delighted but you know it's a panel effort, and I probably wouldn't be there along with the other six DCU girls without all the players and our management and panel around us. So um, I'm delighted, though.
4: And you're there alongside other Kilkenny stalwarts as well. You had Kira O'Shea yeah. named in there, you had James Stevens, Neve Dealey, uh, Steffi, and Tiffy Fitzgerald both representing uh, DCU and NUIG. Uh, just amazing to see so many people in that all star team stemming from Kilkenny.
8: Yeah, no, um, it's. it's Deadly, like there was obviously five Kilkenny, and all of them actually happened to come from Loreto. And all of us would have played through up through with Brendan Williams as well. So it just is uh, uh, excellent for Loreto as well uh, to see like they have a massive uh, history, and it's great in there in Loreto. So um, even the two sisters as well, I'm delighted for them, you know. Um, so to see it just shows that you know what's coming up from Kilkenny um, through the colleges, it's looking it's looking very good.
4: Mm-hmm. And uh, just as we approach the end of the interview, and thank you very much for being so kind with your time and waiting while the news is on as well. Though. I know we said we'd call you at five, but um, your own personal names now coming into 2022, are you, like it's, it's getting to an intermediate All-Ireland final with Kilkenny, repeating the success that you had with Dixborough. These are all things that are no doubt on the back of your mind or even coming to the forefront right now.
8: Yeah no definitely look um, everything is just probably with the club everything was pushed back to after Christmas and there was a delayed so it's been definitely uh, running on a long time but already I'm I'm really looking forward to getting back to the club um, and obviously we're going to you know women's county at the moment and uh, looking forward for a year with that but getting back to the club then as well and then I'm lucky I have one more year left up with DCU in college so uh already it's not long that we're over with college you're looking forward to getting back going with that again so uh even just to get back training you know um with your club and your college um and then obviously to go again and step one step forward with the county and win the All-Ireland and then we'd love to do obviously again with Dixborough so um, I'm definitely there are the little uh, goals and aims for uh, 2022.
4: Is, is there a bit of burnout uh, at all? Because, you know, that's a lot on your plate. Is there any yeah. burnout going inter-county club colleges as well? Just so quickly.
8: Um, no. in fairness, look, all our management between, you know, at one stage I was filling out my diary and I was, God, we have... um We have club, we have county, we have college. Like, but the management of each setup, like you know, they all work together. They're all you know communicating, and that's number one for them. They don't want to see burnout. And personally, I've been uh, fortunate; I haven't had any injuries or anything the last last few weeks. And uh, you know, um, you know, the management they work together and they make sure there is no burnout. And then there's recovery put in place as well. Um, And you know, the physios and everything. Look, you know. Everyone is there to out for us, um, so it's great to see that.
4: And finally, before we go, we've seen yesterday Motion 33 at Congress looking at the integration of LGFA, Camogie Association and indeed the GAA has pretty much unanimously been passed, 89% voting in favour of it. What's your own thoughts on that?
8: Oh, look, I think I'm delighted. Um, I actually I play with Kenny City Football uh, myself as well and the last few years it's been tough as I said it's hard to just Camogie having three teams but to try get in football as well especially for Kenny, Um, you know there's been times there where um, it, it's just not it's quite not here because we can't get the fixtures played because probably Kenny will come or Camogie will come number first number one anyway but uh, like um, it'll be great because you know it's coming together and being able that fixtures won't clash and things. Um I think it'll be amazing. Look, even the coverage of Camogie this last year has been fantastic and fair play to Anya and uh Martin Quilty. You know, I listen to their podcast every week and, you know, uh the coverage of Camogie is just it's fantastic as well this year and it's only going to get better. So um so it's very good.
4: Jane, thanks very much for being so kind with your time. Once again, congratulations on the All Star win. And I know you said that you celebrated for a few days, but no doubt you can have cause to celebrate for another few more. Just doing the county proud up with DCU, doing Dixborough proud, and indeed the Loretto as well, your old hunting ground. Thanks very much, Jane, and best of luck for the rest of the year. Thanks very much, Shane. Thank you. Jane Cass there, an all-star. It's great getting to speak with all-stars. I used to work with an all-star in a bank. His name was PJ Ryan. I used to print off photos of him as he was uh, in the bank and handed them to customers with the quote, You can look up into the sky and see all the stars at night, but I'm the only star that's bright enough to shine throughout the day. (laughs) I used to leave them all around the bank, give them to customers to get PJ Ryan to sign them themselves. He didn't like that, and I continued to do it.
0: Next up, we hear from LPGA caddy Harry Erwing.
4: Welcome back to Scoreline with myself, Shane O'Keefe. Now, very few interesting weeks there in golf. Joining me on the line is LPGA caddy Harry Ewing in the wake of Phil Mickelson comments that were in support of a breakaway Saudi Arabia golf tour that seemingly ruined as players come out in support of the PGA Tour. Uh, Harry, first of all, thanks very much for taking the time, sir. A pleasure, Shane. Great to be back on with you. Oh, it's always a pleasure to kind of expose the virtues of golf. But there's been some contention recently about this new possible breakaway uh, Saudi Arabia golf tour. First of all, what did you make of Mickelson's comments that Rory McIlroy labelled disgusting?
9: Ah, look. In fairness, they were um, Mickelson. You know, likes to kind of play. All sides off the middle, and um, you know he has a hell of a lot going on. And, and he since came out with that statement to try and backtrack. And once he felt that others were suddenly, you know, leaving what what looked to be a uh, kind of a 20-player uh, initial, um, shall we say, initial um, list, I suppose that was going to be formed. But look, um, you know, it's not Mickelson's first uh, dance with with trouble. I suppose over the years uh, he's been quite. Outspoken in his views, and and we all remember that time where he wasn't enjoying himself at a at a U.S. Open, and a, and he continued to kind of put a moving ball on the green, and he kind of did that to try and expose what he thought was the unfairness of putting surfaces at that U.S. Open. But look, he's a high-profile player. Yeah, obviously, won his his most recent major last year at the age of fifty. But he he kind of is a player that's obviously heading towards more senior tour golf than main tour golf. And I suppose that's the kind of player that I suppose this uh Live Investment Group as they're called or the Saudi Golf has been targeting is kind of what I call B list players, to be honest, players that are either on the way down of their career or heading more towards seniors golf. Phil Mickelson, Justin Rose, Henrik Stenson, those kind of guys. You know, top players, absolutely, in their in their own right and, and maybe They've had their best years are behind them, but obviously there's a huge amount of money involved and, and money turns heads. And, and these guys, while they won't admit it, but those kind of figures that have been bandied about does make guys think and and morals and ethics and everything goes out the window.
4: Do you feel now that any point that, that the breakaway tour was going to gain momentum then on the back of these kind of guys supporting it?
9: I think there's no doubt it was gaining momentum. Um, there was a lot of people stayed silent. Our own Shane Lowry, one of those, because I think he wanted to see what way the wind was going to blow. And look, he was quite clever in that. I'm not so sure would a Shane Lowry, who's still in the prime of his career, have actually gone and played in that league because the PGA Tour in America came out and quite strongly said that while they gave them one free pass to go and play in the Saudi international event there only a matter of a couple of weeks, three weeks ago, um, that that wouldn't be the path that the PGA Tour wanted to see happen. They'd give them one pass to go and and play, um, but it was with stipulations that they'd have to come back and, and play in the corresponding fixture on the PGA Tour over the next coming years, so they didn't want to be seen to be blocking what we call independent contractors from going Glen Golf wherever they'd like to in the world. But at the same time, the PGA Tour is long established there, has a fantastic run of tournaments, the money that's involved, the pension that's involved for these players. It's a platform that's been there for many years, and they have to protect, I suppose their place within within the game. But make no mistake, I think there was rumoured to be, and the list was out there, that 20 players had signed up and agreed that they were going to be the backbone of this tour. And, and look, in ways, to be honest with you, Shane, there's a lot to like about the the structure of the tour. There's nothing to like about where the money comes from and, and the politics and the regime and everything that that is behind Saudi Arabia. That can't be denied. But, their their format for trying to get involved in top class sport and and the the plans that they had you know are exactly what maybe top class golf needs i suppose a, a shorter season a lot of the top pros would say we're nearly kind of flooded with too much golf the season merges into the next one we have what's called a wraparound season there's nearly too much golf on television and they were proposing a shorter season I think the, the events would be mixed up a bit it would be more like um it would be more like American football or baseball that you have team elements to that as well with a team captain and they get to pick their players so there was a lot to like about the structure of it but to be honest like the, the majors in golf are really the, the pinnacle we have four majors on the, on the men's side you know they are the pinnacle of of men's professional golf and and I don't think no matter who comes on board with this league or if this league ever gets off the ground and it's in serious doubt right now that it will really, you know, contend with the real pillars of professional golf as they have been with the heritage and history for many, many, many years.
4: Yeah, I kind of wanted to, and you may have referenced it a small bit there, um, but Mickelson's point that change is indeed needed in golf. Is he right about that? Because golf seems to always just be just... Loved by everybody that's watching. Anytime a major rolls around, maybe not so much the players, you might have a bit of fatigue or anything in there, but is that change for something dynamic, like they are proposing with the Saudi Arabian Golf Tour, is that actually needed or something similar? I don't think there's massive change needed. Um He and others
9: that play on the PGA Tour feel it is. They'll only know... What they're getting, or what they're missing out on, or how much the PGA Tour is taking out of purses or out of uh, corporate sponsorship agreements. They obviously have a, a little bit of a, you know, um, an issue with the PGA Tour, and they feel that the players uh, can do better. Now it's mad to say players can do better when the Players Championship, which will be held in Jacksonville, in Florida, in three weeks' time, and the total purse for that tournament is 20 million. Mm. So, like, that's just outrageous money. We think of Leona Maguire winning her first tournament three weeks ago, and the total purse for that tournament for Ladies Golf in Florida was 1.5 million. Not to be sniffed at, um, I think a lot of these players, if they make it to play professional golf for a living and can maintain their status on any of these tours year on year, they will do very well financially, both from opportunities that come along for sponsorship but also for the prize money that they play with but there's a there is a certain element of greed here there's no doubt there is there's a backstory i think and and phil mickelson in a statement the other day came out with a little bit of a backstory that it looks as if there's other things at play going on in his personal life And, and while you know he's getting a lot of heat at the moment and it looks as if the pga tour have actually suspended him he said he's taking time out from the game. But time out from the game basically means you've been told to take time out. We've seen this before with Dustin Johnson. Come back a few years ago, a very similar statement. I'm, I'm taking time out from the game. So, you know, he has ruffled feathers. He has publicly come out in defense of this alternative league. Some me, people may say he has a lot of fair points or not, but uh, the PGA Tour aren't happy with one of their star players, who they've supported and and put tournaments on for, and a guy who has availed of such a successful brand for so long, they're not happy with him coming out in such support of that alternative league. And I suppose they've uh, they've um, you know had their say, and there's no doubt in my mind he is he is suspended at the moment. It'll be very interesting to see. Does he come back anytime soon? Does he play in the Masters? In fairness, the Masters is run. By the Masters Committee, it has nothing to do with the PGA Tour. But if he suddenly comes back in six weeks' time to play the Masters and then disappears again, we absolutely know it will have been the PGA Tour that has suspended him. But there's big tournaments coming up in the lead-up to the Masters. And in a way,
4: for a fan's point of view, it's a shame not to see Phil Mickelson play in those. It certainly is. Um other players are supposedly in favor of this league the money that has been backed is all about the cheddar generally uh, is uh, coming from the Saudi Arabian investment group or government or whatever it is, they've recently invested heavily in Newcastle Uh, they've signed a sports partnership with the World Wrestling Entertainment to put on two shows for 50 million per show a year uh, for the next 10 years so they seem to be trying to get this westernized culture in there but with that comes the equality of women as well has there been any talk about the LPGA going over there as well because they're going to face different Um, different obstacles if they were playing in Saudi Arabia.
9: Yeah, funny you should mention that. Um, Before Christmas, Saudi golf has kind of started to become a little bit more involved with the L.E.T., the Ladies European Tour. There has been no sign or mention of any association with the LPGA Tour. In fairness, the LPGA Tour in America is a much bigger tour than the Ladies Tour is in Europe. And I think part of the Alliance that the ladies European tour felt was that it gave them a structure to their season. They were struggling for an amount of tournaments and prize money that would warrant serious competition and players to play in Europe instead of running to play in America. So that doesn't mean to say it's right, but if Saudi golf is involved now with the ladies European tour and who knows if they don't manage to set up this league on the men's side, Will they come knocking on the door of the LPGA Tour Commissioner very soon? Who knows? Um, But look, those are big decisions. Um, You're right, there's a huge amount of money involved. Money is absolutely no object. And like I said earlier, um, these professional sports people have a shelf life. Typically in men's game, your best years are done possibly by the time you're 40. And as I mentioned, a Shane Lowry, a Henrik Stenson... Uh, Justin Rose, in my view, Shane Lowry is still very much in the prime of his career. Hmm. The other uh, mentioned guys are probably on the way down and are a good bit older. But there's no doubt money talks, and we're talking about massive money. They're giving them contracts of absolute millions over the next three, four, five years with guaranteed prize funds that would far outweigh what's available on the PGA Tour. And they only need to play a very limited schedule, maybe play you know, 20 or even as, less, as little as 15 tournaments of the year. So from a player's point of view, what's not to like about that? But not everyone is up first. People uh, have their own views, ethics, morals, um, allegiance to the PGA Tour, if you will. There's a hell of a lot going on here. But I just I saw overnight Greg Norman, who's the poster boy and the kind of CEO for this, new proposed tour has come out and sent a letter overnight to the PGA Tour head CEO, Jay Monaghan and basically, you know, it's quite a startling letter if anyone wants to go and have a read of it this morning, but basically a pushback to say like, this is just the beginning, it's certainly not the end. Um, He feels they have not gone away while it mightn't have happened right now because of things that have happened over the last week. Um, It's probably not going to go away and it'll be very interesting to see what happens over the next six months to a year because it has definitely rattled the cage of the PGA Tour and they made an alliance with the European Tour in an effort to make both tours stronger and they're going to have some co-sanctioned events this year one being the Scottish Open where we will hope to see some more Americans come over and play in that so the European Tour and the PGA Tour have got in bed together and they've essentially made themselves stronger but Who knows how long that's going to last for, and and at the end of the day, the players are independent contractors, and if they're offered enough money and they want to go and they don't mind the sanctions that that means coming from the PGA Tour, they'll go, and, and this thing will maybe get off the ground within the next year.
4: Yeah, Work less, make more money it, Generally anybody would accept that role uh, You touched upon it there um, briefly LPGA, you're caddying on the LPGA Tour for Marina Alex You've kept us up to date on your journey With your weekly column in the Nationalist What are the goals for Marina And yourself for the year ahead oh, Look it's been a great start Very lucky we did two weeks in
9: Florida There what was that? Back last week in January, first week in February, was it? And and got off to a great start. In fairness, you know, when you hop on the bag of a new player, I was working for a Korean girl at the back end of last year and she missed her card, unfortunately. So one door closes and another one opens and I was very lucky to acquire the bag of Marina. In fairness, she's a great player. She's a, a very good standing on the tour that she's in all the majors this year. And I head tomorrow to, to Singapore, we have two weeks in Asia. Uh, First week in Singapore and the following week in Thailand. So we got off to a great start. People obviously maybe heard or read in the article that in the second week in Florida, we were in the final group with Leona Maguire that night, the night Leona won. And Mm. look, as disappointed as I was that myself and Marina couldn't kind of get the job done on the night, she just didn't play her best golf in the final round, and, and that happens. But. Leona was top class, and, and to be honest, even if maybe we had our best, we would have been up against it that night. Leona was in, in top form and, and did what we all knew she could do. So it was nice to be part of that, to witness history as, a, as an Irish guy, to be there. Um, but look, a, a top 30 finish in our first week and then a, a tied fourth finish in our second with a new guy on the bag. You know, Marina's very happy with that start. It gives her a bit of confidence and um, she's had two weeks off as i have and now we're kind of ready to rock and, and out to asia again so there's a lot to look forward to you hope that that's a sign uh, of the potential that marina has and i know it is because i've, I've looked and I've looked at her stats and I've looked at her performance for her seven-year career on tour and even though she's out there seven years at the age of 31 she's definitely not on the way down of her career she has a lot to give and, and the potential is absolutely there. So, look, please, God, we're in all the big tournaments. That's where you want to be. You have chances, really, to kind of make good performances and and put together a strong season. So it's still very early, but it's encouraging, and I'm looking forward to heading back out there
5: tomorrow.
4: Yeah, We're looking forward to following your journey and catching up as well on everything that happens, of course, with Marina, and, of course, with this possible breakaway Saudi Arabia Golf Tour. Harry, best of luck in Asia over the next few weeks. We look forward to catching up with you again soon. Great, Shane. Thanks a lot. Mind yourself. Thank you. Harry Ewing there in the wake of Phil Mickelson's comments that were in support of the breakaway Saudi Arabia League and keeping us up to date on everything that's happening with him and Marina Alex on the LPGA Tour. Stick around here on Scoreline. Lots more still to come.
0: (laughs) Ivan Niquilin also popped by KCLR Studios to talk all about Quish North 5K.
10: I do think Irish people um, pulled out all the stops and kind of got really creative around how they could fundraise online and with virtual events. But it's great to actually be back with proper events now. Um, and like you mentioned Cush Noor and the work that they do. Obviously a massive support to anybody that has cancer in the family, you know, for, for children and family members and, and even like cancer sufferers themselves. They do reflexology and counselling and all sorts. So it's a fantastic resource. They have a great premises down in Walkin Street, but they are fundraising for, for a new premises. Um, so this, like the 5K run, is a fundraiser first and foremost um, on the 18th of March um, I'm absolutely delighted to be an ambassador and have been for a while now with Jackie Turrell and I'm hoping to be there on the day I'm not really running yet <laughs> not physically quite there yet um, but I will be there and I will probably walk possibly pushing a pram which is about enough as the workout as I need now or want at the moment
4: Sorry, we had Jackie in during the week as well he seems excited by it uh, we had Mr Brian Cody in it's always a scary but lovely opportunity to see the man and the boss and the man the yeah what legend. a great
10: patron as well for a local charity you can get better unbelievable
4: unbelievable but the Castle Park is the location the 18th of March is starting at 11 o'clock you said that uh, you mightn't be partaking yourself but you certainly will be there has there been much interest from the people of Kilkenny to get involved
10: yeah I think there has and I think now for the next few weeks I think we just need to start talking about it a bit more mm. um, because I think if people do get involved we, we now have another bank holiday on that weekend yeah. and actually the, the, it's falling on the Friday so most people will be the kids will be off school most people will be um, getting some time off work and that's why I'm coming down um, because it's on the Friday Um, and it's not like it's 25 euro for an adult it's 15 euro for a child and as I said all that money is going to Kush and there's a really tangible target there as well because they do need and want um, a new premises and obviously still to support the staff and the volunteers that are actually delivering the service for for the people to Kenny so um, I do think there's been a great uptake I don't have any kind of information or (laughs) figures Um, I'm sure Mary Dolan in the centre will give those out but um, I just think over the next few weeks it's I suppose just to raise the awareness that it's coming up because it could be a great event especially because it's part of the St. Patrick's Day Festival um, and it's in like the iconic Castle Park. Does it get any better?
4: Yeah, and a lot of 5K runs happen in the Castle Park say on a Saturday morning and various different athletic clubs in Kilkenny, whole 5K runs <laughs> but it's important to note that this 5K run is open to everybody. It's not open to people who are trying to get their best 5K and their personal best. It's a more of a family-friendly orientated event in yeah. aid of a good cause
10: yeah and like if you are a really decent runner and you're very competitive and you want to time yourself it is going to be professionally timed so Mm. you do have that option but like I'll probably bring the kids and my parents and we'll stroll around or we'll run or we'll jog or whatever so it might be
4: like an obstacle course for someone yeah absolutely (laughs) it'll
10: definitely be an obstacle course for me Um, sleep deprivation thrown in with the rest of it Um, no I I think it's it's one of those things like you said it's an event for everybody and it's not like park runs and everything are great every weekend um, especially for people who do kind of want to keep track of what they're doing but this is more of a fun event it's more of a family event um, and it's just great that it's fallen on the weekend that it is because there'll probably be a good buzz like we haven't had a proper St Patrick's Day festival in two years Yeah. Um, so there'll probably be a good buzz around the town so I can't wait
4: and uh, just from your own kind of Perspective, you know, you do a lot of work up in Dublin and stuff like that, and you're kind of—I know it's only about an hour, an hour twenty on the the motorway—but coming back to Kilkenny and being involved and being an ambassador for something that is happening in Kilkenny you must take a lot of personal pride in that.
10: I do. It's really important to me. Um, I was actually just talking to somebody yesterday about—it um, was actually my my brother-in-law's sister, and she's from Kerry, and she was saying, you know, I sometimes I wonder, do I say I'm from Kerry or because she lives in Limerick, do I say I'm from Limerick? Yeah. Like, God, if anyone asks me where I'm from. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I don't say Dublin like what? And she was like, Do you not say, no, you live in. No, I'm from Buchanan. Like, why would you say anything else? So, to be able to come back and to have the honour, because it is an honour to have, you know, an ambassadorial role with a local charity that does such great work. It is, I know it might sound cheesy, but actually, it means a lot to me because you go up to Dublin and you're completely anonymous. And, you know, I don't have family up there. I just have my in laws, which is grand, but it's not the same as your family. Um, So, to be able to come home and to feel part of something down here is brilliant. And I do get home a lot, and it is an hour 15 door to door.
4: I know exactly. I've <laughs> timed it. Yes. Uh, just your own career trajectory. It's it's very heartwarming for anybody that wanted to get involved in any type of presenting or any type of media as well. And just someone from Kilkenny seeing that on the television. We see, you know, if you if you can't see her, you can't be her, and that is it both male and female It represents everybody from Kilkenny as well uh, talking about personal pride and coming back as an ambassador but just your own career has been tremendous to watch for people of Kilkenny and you might fluff it that or anything like that and you mightn't realise how much it means to people but there is a huge contingent of people when we said that we were bringing it on I was like no way that's amazing so like, thank you for coming in and thank you for the work that you're doing and what do you have on the horizon coming up?
10: maternity leave yeah. for the next six months which is brilliant um, I'm going to take this time to uh, spend it with I have three kids now and things are really busy because they are as sporty if not more sporty than I ever was <laughs> so they are on the go all the time um, and it's great but no like my career like it's been to be honest anyone that's working in, in or lo- working towards working in journalism or sports broadcasting I think now I think it's a fantastic time because mm. you don't actually need to kind of um there, there, there are so many more media outlets now like when I, I started off in 2004 and it makes me sound really really old because I am really old but <laughs> um, there were very limited choices yeah. um, I would have applied to like places like TG Cahar, um didn't get anywhere Radio um, O'Gailtachta and RTE and like a TV3 and that was kind of I, mean, I don't even know what I would have applied for but there were different jobs you'd go for anything like you go for an administration job you go for making tea just to try and prove get yourself and door. get in the door and which is what exactly what I did in RT but like now you can nearly broadcast yourself Yeah, you know if you're good enough and you have enough of a niche and you know what you're talking about and you have a presence and you know about brand awareness and you know how to carry yourself all it takes is to set up your own page on YouTube or Instagram or whatever it is so actually I think it's probably um, a more exciting time to be 22 or 3 now if you're interested in, in media work or broadcasting because you can kind of open your own doors. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's brilliant for anyone that have had the energy to do it.
4: <laughs> it was a bit of a grain then uh, if you're kind of going back to when you were starting out to get that foot in the door but once, did you notice that once you were in the door that a lot more doors started opening up?
10: They did if you worked hard. Yeah. So I literally, I don't think for two years I took a day off at all because I worked seven days a week. I was freelance and I used to just work on everything and actually at the time orty had a lot of rights so I used to work on live Premier League, live Heineken Cup. We had live, we had we had Formula One, we had live horse racing, we had ba- yeah. uh, boxing, basketball. Obviously, we had all the GA, we had Champions League. I like I could go on. We had live sport four or five days a week sometimes, and because of the seasons, the way that they kind of complement each other, yeah, the whole year round might have been a bit quiet as a freelancer in January, but like that was just take a break time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it. I think you're right. You know, once you do, kind of get in somewhere and show that you're. Um, you know, that you're diligent and that you know what you're talking about as well. Like I went in, I was didn't go in doing what I'm doing now. I went in mm. doing research and, you know, um, shot listing and sub editing. Like the first thing I shot listed was like Olympic weightlifting. <laughs> I knew nothing about it at the time, but you go in and you learn on the job as well. And same at every job, you do learn on the job. Um, so was it a grind? Yes, it probably was um, because you just had to, I missed like loads of things like, you know, social events with my yeah. friends and family because I, I couldn't really turn down any work. Um, but I don't regret any of it. Like, I, you know, I really enjoyed the grind. I Certainly. like working hard. I like being challenged. And if anything, I'm kind of like, where's the next challenge? Because I don't like kind of getting comfortable or anything like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I have been very fortunate and, and privileged. And I, and I know that as well.
4: Yeah. Well, it's, it's great to see, as I said, someone from Kilkenny been up there hosting and been up there representing the Black and Amber as well. Talking about the Black and Amber. Uh, you've probably seen Kilkenny throughout the years of how great we were and how we're kind of stuck in the doldrums over the past few years as well what do you make of Brian Cody's chances and his charges this year going into an All-Ireland Championship what a month and a half away
10: I think the the hurling particularly has never really been more interesting because I think um, Kilkenny will never really go anywhere Mm. as in they're not going away is what I'm saying (laughs) Um, I wouldn't be worried by I heard you talking about the the results uh, recently you know against Tipperary or whatever but I wouldn't be that worried uh, this time of the year about Kilkenny at all and I think even the small even the small thing like uh, Henry going up to Galway it just lights a bit of a fire under everything again and it gives it's not just about Galway getting Henry and getting um, I don't know do they do they do they they have it in their head as some sort of a an ace in their pack but actually I think it'll fuel loads of the other teams to up their game and see what they can do against um, a Galway Henry Shefflin team Um, and it's the same for Camogie like I think Camogie has has really put itself the kilkenny team and the intermediates as well like, have really put themselves on the map in the last few years and they have turned they have they have provided us with some of the best matches mm. um, particularly against Cork in the last few years. Um, I think they have been a joy to watch and they are not gone anywhere either.
4: Yeah they came away with a victory today Yeah
10: they did yeah and like that was probably a hard place to go and I don't like to hear venues getting changed and throwing times getting changed for players. I know it's great to go to Cusick Park but um, you know those are the kind of little little percentages that you need and that maybe that's why they were you know maybe not fully at the races today but I heard Aoife Murray talking about it during the week like if you were looking on you're trying to figure out where your game is at, what time you need to eat your dinner at, what time you need to get on the bus at, or whatever. These are the small little sports psychology things that actually do feed into your games and feed into your matches. And if you can't find the fixture and where the game is on, or if the game gets changed to a different uh, stadium, you or know, in the on case the case of the minors they or got rained off. On the case of the miners going yeah. back down and the game being called off. So I do think we have a bit more to go in terms of just organising our fixtures and organising our um, administration of, of Camogie Probably, you know, we probably do have a bit more to do there. But I do think it has improved and I think that the sport and what we're seeing like the hurling that we're seeing from the women has gone up in the last decade like I mean I would be terrified to take to any (laughs) pitch. absolutely (laughs) terrified Do you you think the
4: issues that uh, you mentioned there would be sorted by the proposed amalgamation that has been going touted for the LGFA the Camogie Association and the GEA
10: I would be absolutely for that and I think one of the big problems is the fact that you know particularly for if you look at like ladies football um, they're there's always this thing of we have to get the pitch off the men we have to try and get mm. a pitch and we have to try and get access to the main pitches or whatever and that goes that actually filters right down um, and I think I coach under sevens now uh, in in the club that I'm involved with in Dublin St Jude's and I see it already where you know <laughs> pitches are at a premium this time of the year particularly like we've you know one big huge Astro and we have the academy out there and whatever but if there is an issue with pitches I just I can see little subtle things about you know the boys getting on the pitch first or Mm. the boys getting access to the pitches before the girls and that's the kind of stuff that I hate seeing and I do think that um, if there was an amalgamation particularly when you look at like minor and senior club teams or inter-county teams you'd have to imagine that it wouldn't be as difficult to get some certainty about where your games are on and get some certainty about get, get definitely getting a pitch that isn't going to get yeah. rid off like last year's like last week's um, game for the Kilkenny Miners so um, yeah I would be all for it I think why not and I think actually um there's no reason to believe that the GAA would get any weaker. Mm. I think we're stronger together um, and I think especially with the products that we have now in ladies football and camogie, they're very very strong products and they're very very marketable games and that's another thing that has changed um, I think the standard of both sports has gone up. Um, the physicality I remember like going back when I was a lot younger, like twelve, twelve players on a camogie team, and you know all sorts of different rules. And I just think that they've really started to match, um, you know, hurling and football and the physicality around it. And obviously, women are not the same as men in terms of their physical makeup or whatever. But I do think that they serve up fantastic matches and really exciting sport. Which is the that's what that's at the core of it, isn't it? Like you know, if you're going to have a Gaelic games sport being played at the weekend, why not be a Gaelic games organisation?
4: Yeah, and we'll continue to broadcast all the live games as we get them I'll give you the intermediate results once we get the message into us here but Ivan thanks so much for taking the time of day as you said a busy schedule and you'll be busy come the 18th of March it is the Kushnor 5k run you as an ambassador will be there with Jackie Terrell I think you could beat Jackie in a 5k
10: maybe at the best of <laughs> <in> my fitness <laughs> but I have a 7 week outside a 7 week old outside who is really curtailing that right now
4: well Ivan thank you ever so much
10: for my coming into us pleasure. thanks a million for having me Shane
4: and we'll look forward to seeing you on the 18th of March, that is the Kushnor 5K. You can register going to the Kushnor website, so it's kushnor.ie forward slash 5K. All the information is there. Once again, it is important to recognize that it is open for all ages and all abilities. That's kushnor.ie forward slash 5K.
0: Cricket Leinster Midlands development officer Bernard O'Mara also stopped by KCLR. Next up, Joe Sheehan on Greyhound Racing.
7: Well, these are very, very exciting times in the greyhound world indeed. And we have new sponsors tonight in Shelburne Park for this year's 2022 Bresbet Easter Cup over the 550. A whopping prize fund of over €45,000. It's crazy prize money. It's really great to see this on offer and great to see new sponsors coming in in their droves into the greyhound racing world. So really great to see. And we have a very, very strong local hand tonight in this year's Easter Cup. As I said, the second round Happens tonight In the first heat In Shelburne Park tonight Priceless jet The local ground Trained by Paul Hennessy Who of course Is a fantastic greyhound trainer But also a fantastic horse trainer Having won In the Cheltenham Festival Last year Would heaven help us And I'm sure That Paul Hennessy Will really really fancy The chances Of his priceless jet tonight From the stripes of Trap 6 In the first heat He was a Corn Colin champion Last year And he's a really Really experienced greyhound And should navigate his way It's a very very Tough heat however with Susie Sapphire in trap 5 she of course won the Derby last year and the Oak, she's a phenomenal bitch so it's not he's not going to have it all his own but it should be a very, very exciting heat in the second heat we have very strong local interest in this one as well in the form of Stories Peewee in Trap 1, owned of course by Gavin O'Mahony, a local sponsor in our local Kilkenny track and trained by the Conaghy man, Mert Lahey and his team. Of course, Stories Peewee won last week in 29 8 very, very impressive, ran on so, so well to win, has the red jacket of Trap 1 tonight and should have a big chance for Gavin O'Mahony and De Team, so best of luck to all of them, and also on the same heat from the stripes of Trap 6 Beach Avenue for local trainer Paul Hensie, another one of his runners. Beach Avenue was a very, very impressive winner last week, coming from the clouds to win. He'll be doing his best work late and finishing very strongly. At the latter stages of the race He of course Ran up this competition Finishing second last year So can he go on better this year I think he definitely has a big chance And considering the form he's in at the moment Beach Avenue Is running as well as ever So best of luck to them In the third heat Paul Hennessy has another runner Running from the white jacket Of Trap 3 Barefoot Supremo For the Murphy family And of course Trained by Paul Hennessy Ran very well last week Coming second Only beaten a length By Stories P. B another local ground running tonight as we said and barefoot supremo certainly has a good chance from trap tree tonight so as we said a very very strong local hand it's a very very impressive 2022 Bresbet easter cup so best of luck to all our local competitors elsewhere at home in the kenny ground stadium there's cracking cracking action going on here at the moment and really really tremendous to see great greyhounds on display last night and the likes of Dolores Root well she's a lady who has won almost everything there is to win in Greyhound Racing she's a fantastic trainer and she was in Kilkenny last night with her two runners who all qualified for next week's semi-finals of the Frightful Flash Kennels novice on sweep and of course Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium is known for producing some very very impressive pups over the years and we saw some of them on display last night so the first of last night's heats was won by Rahe, Vera Jet very, very impressively for Jared and Jason White in a time of twenty-nine thirty-two finishing very very strongly. Bogor Shamrock and Bally Rosie taking the second and third honors there, and they'll those three progressed to next week's semi-finals. Also, in the second heat last night out of Frightful Flash Kennels, we had Bitfew Jimmy. Who finished started and stayed strongly, finishing quite well to win in a time of twenty nine fourteen at a price of six to four for Michael O'Riordan and Philip Dillon. So well done to them in the third heat. This was the most impressive performance of the whole. Brighton Flash Kennels novice unraced first round heats last night at even money. Blackstone Zoe led up the back straight and finished so impressively winning in 28.79 this blackstone's a phenomenal performance and looks to be one of the favorites for the competitions after winning that last night on drain the course by patrick Sinnott. and the last of last night's first round heats was won by bit terra very impressively as well in the time of 29 29- 33, finishing strongly as well for owner-trainer Michael O'Reardon. Here, Larry and Kilville Arnold took the second and third spot in that one. So next week, we have a very, very exciting card in Kilkenny-Grayon Stadium next Friday night with the Frightful Flash Kennels. Semi-finals of the unrace taking place and the cracking, cracking unrace competition. Really love to see these pups on display. And also, we've been speaking about this competition since the start of the year. The big build-up. It's here, folks. The mccalman Cup. What a fantastic competition it is in Kilkenny, year in, year out, for the A1, A2 graders. The mccalman Cup. It's a wonderful competition, and that will also begin next Friday night. So really, really big week in Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium as we look ahead to the frightful flash kennels novice unrace semi-finals next week, and also the start of this year's twenty twenty McCallman Cup so best of luck to all our local runners tonight in Cheltenham Park and big week to look forward to in Kilkenny Graham Stadium and well done of course to everyone in Kilkenny Graham Stadium who took place who took part in the Behind the Track series the documentary was filmed in Kilkenny Graham Stadium and interviewed local workers at Kilkenny Graham Stadium particularly Tom Canan, the track manager there and well done they all did so so well and you can see this Behind the Track series on the greyhounds Irish greyhounds sunrise to sunset various social media channels you have YouTube Twitter Facebook all these social media Irish greyhounds sunrise to sunset where you can see the most recent episode of Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium so well done to all involved there and best of luck to our local runners tonight in HQ Shelburne Park as they vie for their part of the 45,000 euro prize money on offer best of luck to all <laughs>
0: Davy Jones checks back in with Shane on all things fitness and health.
4: Welcome back to Scoreline with myself Shane O'Keefe, it's just coming up to twenty-two-five. we have lots more still to come on the show, we'll be talking camogie, cricket and we'll have a bit of a Cheltenham preview to look forward to, but now as we do generally every Sunday, I am delighted to be joined on the line by Davy Jones from Davy Jones Fitness, one of Ireland's strongest men, Davy, how are you doing sir?
3: I'm good now Shane and you?
4: Very good are you still good? i seen you're up doing a bit of strength and conditioning work on yourself there today for about three hours man, It look nuts
3: yeah, it was a good session like I said the rain was uh, it was a bit rainy but we got through in the end but uh, yeah, no good session out today thank God
4: And if anyone has been listening over the past while or following along the blog on scorelink.ie I've partaken in a 10 week personal training course with Davey as well we're on week 8 now Davey and I can say that I'm starting to notice some differences anyway generally would it be around two months in when people start noticing some aesthetic differences uh, a lot more than maybe some of the glamour muscles like your biceps or your traps you kind of start noticing a bit within your torso and stuff would it be around two months that people would uh, expect to be getting these results that they've been wishing for on the start of their journey?
3: Yeah exactly um, I suppose a lot of people see a lot of results um, like I was saying towards the end of the 10 weeks and then usually um, more times than often that people um, go again with another lot of 10 weeks but uh I suppose a lot of people other people who are looking to lose weight um, would see a, a, a good lot of weight loss in the first three, four weeks and your set was more kind of just dropping body fat and starting to build muscle while that's kind of a a longer, harder role, really. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're starting to see big changes in your body now, and that's that's brilliant now. And,
4: and why is it that uh, people that maybe have a bit more body fat notice these changes a lot quicker than someone that might have a bit less? I know that there might be more to lose, but what is it that they're able to lose it a lot faster than someone that may be coming in a bit fitter than the other person?
3: Um, I suppose, yeah, that term, um, more to lose, is kind of it kind of explains it a little bit in the sense of when someone has a uh, little bit heavier, with the, they have, might have a lot of water retention and you know bloating and stuff like that, and they're trained to lose. So um, what we do is obviously change their diet straight away, train their exercise regime, and the body goes from one extreme to the other. And the human body um, doesn't get to being overweight by itself. Like the reason why people are overweight is because. We often were eating, eating the wrong things and eating too much of, of uh, the wrong things and then not not being active enough. And then once we changed, the, the body will respond rapidly and respond in the right way of, of losing weight and getting fitter and stronger.
4: And people that are coming in then, uh, say, from being quite big, if they're coming into a personal training session and things like that, and you do your assessment as you do before you start anything, you'll get a rundown of everything that you might be doing well or not doing great at, but would they be expecting a huge calorie deficit or is it something that you would stay clear from? Because a lot of crash dieters would go into a massive calorie deficit and then we've exposed the virtues of fuel in your body, but someone that's trying to to lose a lot of weight quickly would you be putting them on a massive calorie deficit or would you be looking to something a bit more maintainable
3: yeah something that's going to be maintainable basically uh people who who go on of say like you said a crash diet and then a a mad exercise regime and two of those things don't work together they don't work individually either but definitely don't work together in the sense of if you're going to burn out all these calories and then not giving yourself enough food to do that you're just going to run yourself into the ground literally and you won't be able to get the results you want to get and a lot of people go down that road unfortunately and you know, they just don't—they don't go get the help they need, and they end up—you um, know—basically stopping because they just don't have the energy to do it, and they're—they're they're sick and tired of not getting the results they want to get
4: now you're speaking of energy I've noticed that the intensity of the workouts coming as we come up to the end of the 10 week program has indeed increased Uh, not so much in in the sense that uh, a lot of the exercises mightn't be as manageable as they previously were but the the intensity has increased and you can tell that it's a very result driven business in a a sense that you want what's best for your clients but you know plates are getting a bit more stacked onto bars and stuff like that as I, I might get stronger or someone else might get stronger is that what's to be expected now coming up for the last two weeks that the intensity is going to increase even again
3: exactly yeah we just we wanted to increase every week. You know, from week one to week two to week nine to week ten. It, it just it has to increase um, every week, and that's what our body needs is a little bit more extra stimulus every week. And um, that's how our bodies respond. Like you know, if you do the same workout week in and week out with the same intensity, it's just not going to give you a whole lot. So, yeah, you're, you're going well there now. You're getting stronger and fitter. So. Uh, you're, well, you're well able for the hard workout so we're, we're pushing hard
4: yeah you don't see me crying in the bathroom after just going oh no no I'm only joking not I, anymore no I, 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 honestly it's a, it's been a, an eye opening experience because uh, say people that might have a bit of a gym background and you might be going in doing the same thing every week and not getting the type of results that you want changing it up and doing little small things to your workout really proves beneficial you're almost shocking the muscles because they're they're used to something i was going to the gym beforehand maybe six times a week that's been cut down to three times a week with yourself but it seems like i'm have a lot more energy and i'm getting better results because the workout is changing all the time it's not the same routine
3: Exactly. Yeah, like we kind of um, talked about before, us you were going into your weight sessions before, where you were fatigued, you're running beforehand, and I suppose like when like for anyone to do that after their their, their cardio session is, you know, it's just not going to be the same kind of effort into it. You can't put the same effort into it. So now, like you're you're going in and you're doing really good strong session on the weight and you're getting you're feeling the benefit you're getting the benefit from it and yeah the intensity as you see yourself when you, when you do weights properly it's as good as any cardio workout do you know what I mean it's not better for, for your heart and uh, yeah it's going really really well for you now
4: uh, Forum is king as we've been saying uh, the past while the atmosphere over there is, is always a good crack it's always a good laugh over there and people that might be we've spoken about before apprehensive thinking it's a big strong man weightlifting gym will be in for a shock when they go over there is that something that you're trying to bring with uh, your personal trainers that you have working over there because generally you'll work with maybe with yourself and then you could work with vinnie and work with lee and work with Catherine, and everyone's singing off the same hymn sheet but are you trying to pass down that you need to create this good wholesome atmosphere over there to make sure that clients are still coming in and out
3: yeah, it just results are driven off a good atmosphere in in any aspect of fitness or sport or whatever it be like you know. And everyone that sets into that gym, I want I want them to feel like they're they're getting better every time. And right, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, it's it's hard. Like sessions are hard for anyone. You know, I find them hard. Everyone finds them hard. And it's a bit easier. But it's a lot easier when you're having a bit of fun too. Do you know what I mean? So you know, can't be all and um, you know strict training and strict days, and you know we have to have a bit of fun and that's what makes the training a lot better and you know, have a bit of crack with each other and you know at the same time still pushing hard but that's what makes it kind of makes it kind of you know, fun to do and it's going going to keep coming back for more basically
4: I noticed in January you had a a great offer running and that was obviously a January offer on Valentine's Day you had an amazing offer running Uh, you and your partner could go in for a severely reduced price is anybody going to be expecting to see any offers for Paddy's Day or anything like that coming up or should they just stay tuned to the Instagram and Facebook
3: yeah, definitely. We'll have a, an offer now on Paddy's Day. Um, and like you said, stay stay tuned into the social medias and it will be up on that and we'll put up maybe a few days before parties weekend and uh, yeah, they'll be a to avail them offers then.
2: Well,
4: Davy, thanks very much uh, for coming on with us. No doubt you'll be on again next week. The blog post will be going up on scorelink.ie later on today. Training with Davy Jones, Week 8. I have two more weeks now to go, which means two more leg sessions I was about to put a bad word in there but <laughs> two more leg sessions to come up what can I be expecting now in the final two weeks
3: ah uh, yeah we're going to push even harder now Shane and it's not that no, you can't do you know what I mean it's going to be it's going to be just the next level up like I said each is just the next level up and you're just going to keep on improving and that's the way we're going to go
4: and having someone there to drive you on it just makes all the difference Davy absolute pleasure I'll be seeing you again I think Tuesday now is when we agree to get me in there for more workouts but thanks very much for coming on the air enjoy the rest of your Sunday sir and getting that ice bat that you have as well
3: <laughs> same to you thanks I look forward <laughs> to that now later on
4: <laughs> Davy Jones for Davy Jones Fitness
0: And finally, Martin Walsh on all things Cheltenham.
4: Lots going on, Cheltenham coming up. We have Rachel Blackmore as a special guest. Tell us all about. Well, look, at it's a fundraiser
11: basically for our pony racing, which has been on uh, two days in June, the 11th and 12th of June. And uh, we have this fundraiser going to get a few quid to set the ball rolling so we have uh, Paul Nolan trainer shark handling trainer uh, Dennis O'Regan jockey and um, Sam Kerwin which is Paddy Power representative he's a local chap here in Thomastown and Sam is coming down to to give us the best odds he can or whatever and then we have a special guest coming which is probably the most famous name in racing in um, England and Ireland at the moment which would be Rachel Blackmore
4: most famous name nearly in the world in, in the horse racing industry at this stage.
11: Exactly, yes, exactly.
4: And uh, what can well, people uh, expect then when they go down? I know that you said there, it, it is a fundraiser, but it seems like it's going to be a good crack.
11: It's going to be a good crack, yeah. It should, like, it's a salmon pool, you're not going to have a good crack in the salmon pool anyway. But, um, <laughs> I, it,
4: you can uh, attest to that one anyway.
11: <laughs> Look at. There'll be people, that the panel will be there, and they could, uh, anybody from the crowd that come in will ask them questions and they'll give their opinion on uh, who they think is going to win and so on and so forth. Like We've had it before, but uh, we didn't have the big name as Rachel Blackmore in that. But we did. Dennis O'Regan came last uh, two years ago before the lockdown and he gave us the winner of the champion hurdle, and a lot of back to the 16 to 1. So, you know, it's. Um, it's uh, you get a lot of knowledge there on the day people you know a lot of race and knowledge in there and lads will tell you what they think and but a good few of them will win
4: hopefully are we, are we just going to get Rachel saying I think I'm going to win
11: well, I think she will too. But
4: <laughs> she that anyway. Is it also in an any <laughs> of the Inter-Jockey Funds as well? Now, this is something is, I didn't really know before, uh, you know, frequenting Eddie Scully's uh, brilliant presence. I love being around Eddie, funny guy, yeah. amazing. But he, he was telling me about the Inter-Jockey Fund. It's uh, something that kind of gets forgotten about when you're talking about horse racing. It is. Look,
11: it's... We're running it for two. It's a charity. We give something to locally. It will be probably saying Columbus Hospital, which, which do great work around the locality, and it's a great hospital, great facilities, and great people running it. And then also, you have the Injured Jockeys Fund, which are these jockeys, like they're professionals, but at the same time, if anything happened to them, they don't get paid. If they're not able to ride a horse, they can't get paid. So, there is a fund there to help them along when they are injured. And that's it's it, a it's a very very important part of of racing to have this uh, jockeys injured jockeys fund.
4: Yeah, it's a, it's like pretty much in any sports it be, it could be quite precarious. We hear in soccer that you know you need to make as much money as you can because you never know when that injury could be on the horizon and it has been suffered, particularly in horse race, and when it's such high risk for the jockeys getting on top of there, you could anything could happen at any time. So it's a, it's hugely beneficial for the jockeys to know that there is something there in place for them.
11: Oh, without a doubt, yes. And as you say, like, it's very, very dangerous sport. But, you know, it's lovely looking at it on the television and the horses gliding over the fences and all that kind of thing. But those boys take some tumbles and get severely injured. And at the worst times, you know, worse than that has happened. But, like, it's the money is there then in, in those funds just to help them along when they do get injured to break an arm or whatever they're on the sidelines and they don't have any just, the riding fees are gone you know they don't get any money so that's what that's basically for
4: and and the horse and, and pony race that's happening in June you said is it in June yes if for our listeners that aren't too aware of everything that would happen out in Grinning Castle could you just inform them of what the day is and what they could expect if they end up going through it
11: Well, it's a two-day meeting we're having, and we're having um, a lot of the ponies and horses that come from all over the country, it's a kind of a mini-race meeting as such, and a lot of the younger, uh, the young fellas that are riding those races go on, but like Rachel Blackmore, that's why she's supporting this, that she started off in pony racing around the fields of Ireland. And... um, on the Saturday night, then, we have a barbecue and we have a band playing. The Kilkenny's our local band. They're playing on the Saturday night in the field. And it's kind of a festival atmosphere, you know, and um, something there for everybody.
4: Oh, yeah, sure. We had Davey on just before Scoreline there today. I can attest to that man's musical talent. So if you're not even massively into or Reporting Racing, you can go out there for the Kilkenny's.
11: Exactly, exactly. But as I said, like you know, it's and we're not forgetting the the local charities that we we support here, and all this is voluntary. The people that run it are uh, volunteers. I just, you know, enjoy doing stuff for, especially sporting things. You know, for, for local charities or whatever. Like you know, it's it's not all win-win, but I mean, somebody has to do the work, and it, it, there is a lot of work goes into all these things, and it's it's fantastic on the day when you see it being supported. You know, so that's why we we would love as many people as possible to come out and support these
4: things. And you mentioned you know, the local charities there. Now, wh- who who else would be involved, or who else could be of a benefit from it?
11: Well, we haven't really decided yet, but um, we have spoken to St. Columbus, and we will be doing something for them. You know, there is an Alzheimer's ward there, and they just need a bit. Of, they're not getting a lot of funding from the HSC to do little things outside, they have a garden. and There's railings needed in it, and all that kind of stuff. You know, so we'd like to help with some of those things.
4: Yeah, so it sounds like it's going to be right crack anyway, and good and good fun. Have it's been going on for quite a few years anyway. Um, obviously curtailed by COVID, but you know what? What was the atmosphere like in the past few years? Are you hoping that oh, coming coming back now, you're you're going to come back with a bang? Going
11: come, come back with a bang, yes, exactly. Like it's it's probably a sport that people don't know a whole lot about the pony racing. It's you know as I said so many sports going on during the summers in Ireland with hurling and soccer and football and all that kind of stuff but like this is getting bigger and bigger because racing itself is on the up again you know so like it's it's just one of those things that um, it wouldn't be big in the area but I can remember back I, I have a date on it. how I can remember is Sassafras beat Nijinsky in the pre de de Triumph because my father had the television outside on the lawn of the house and pony racing was going on in the field and that was nineteen and seventy. So I'm around a good while. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, but it all kind of kicking off then all the festivities are kind of gonna get into its precursor with the preview show, the Cheltenham preview show Saturday, March fifth <laughs> at eight o'clock.
11: Yeah, at eight o'clock. That's the big night to start off with. And as I said that's we need to get funds together to, to get things rolling for so we have this Sheldon Preview night and uh, like the, the guys that come in, and they mentioned it, Paul Nolan and Shark and Dennis O'Reek and, and Sam Kerwin Rachel Blackmore they're coming there just to lend their support to it and talk to it and it's, uh, it's all a voluntary thing you know so
4: it and, should be a very good night. And is it rock up on the night now, or is there tickets in advance, Martin?
11: There is tickets. You no, know, the tickets we're selling tickets for. Uh, we would probably have to limit, you know, a crowd because they are in demand. So we, don't, we know we want to have it comfortable for people. though. you know, some is big enough, but it's not that big. You know what I mean.
4: <laughs> Martin, it's been an absolute like, pleasure speaking, speaking to you. To you. it's been been a pleasure speaking to you hearing because I'll admit I'm one of them lads that get lost in the fur of GEA and soccer and rugby as well and just hearing about these things that are going on around our counties in Carlow and in Kilkenny stuff that you mightn't have heard about before but it's always a new day to learn something new and it sounds like it's going to be absolutely great crack and if Geddy Scully is going to be there I can assure you it'll be great crack
11: I forgot to mention Eddie he's going to do the MC and the night.
4: I heard he's going to do a bit of karaoke as well
11: well that'll be later on after the session you know
4: (laughs) Martin an absolute pleasure anyway thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us and no doubt we might be seeing you out in the salmon pool ourselves
11: please God thank you very much
4: Thank you very much. That is Martin Walsh talking about the Cheltenham Preview. That's happening Saturday, March 5th at 8 o'clock. That's only next week, ladies and gentlemen. Out in the Salmon Pool, all in aid of the Grinning Castle Horse and Pony Race and in aid of the injured Jockey Funds and in aid of some local charities. So a great cause there with special guests, Rachel Blackmore, Shark Hanlon, Dennis O'Regan and lots, lots more.
0: That's all from Scoreline Extra for now. Don't forget you can tune in to the live show every Saturday and Sunday from (coughs) 6pm.